to try to make our lives better, which is I'm going to quit my Firefox instance with 8,500 tabs in it. <laughs> Can't hurt. And I do think that the recording is working now. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So, and do you want to introduce Perry or should I? No, Divya, I think, uh, why don't you do the introduction? Okay. Perry Metzger is a computer scientist who's done academic research, who's also had a bunch of different programming jobs, including startups and consulting. He knows more than anyone else I talked to about nanotech. I originally met Perry through my husband, who met him through an ANCAP meetup, anarcho-capitalism. And from my perspective, he's one of those guys who's been around the futurist scene forever. He was an early member of the Cypherpunks mailing list, started the original cryptography list, and started the Extropians mailing list. He says that he claims no ownership or originality of any transhumanist ideas, except that he did coin the term Jupiter brain. So Perry, thanks so much for coming on our podcast. Hello. I'm, I'm actually, no one, no one hires me to write software anymore. People, people hire me to be a horrifying management consultant or, 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 or what have you. Secretly, I still write software here and there, and it horrifies people really, really badly. I've scarred a number of people working for me by having to deal with my software. They, you know, we, but we don't talk about that mostly. You know, and I've I've gotten rid of most of the bodies over the years successfully. So, <laughs> provided no one finds them, we should be okay. Yes. Got anyway, it. as you were it's saying, terrifying. yeah, I've, <laughs> I've I've done all sorts of stuff. I have no idea actually what I'm going to be when I grow up, but I've I've been told that if you don't actually figure that out by the time you're sixty or seventy, you don't have to grow up. So I'm I'm I, I might actually just have to opt for that. Sounds good to me. Well, we have a lot of questions, but I was wondering if you could first start by telling our listeners what a Jupiter brain is, in case they don't already know. Oh, okay. So so I should set a little context, which is for those that, that have no idea what Divya was mentioning when, when she said, I started the Extropians mailing list. About 723,000 years ago, in, in you know, slightly before Homo sapiens showed up, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and I'll cut the story really short by saying that we discovered this this zine this was back in the era when when people would would public you know decide you know they'd get access to a photocopier and they'll start publishing a magazine there was this zine called extropy vaccine for future shock put out by a gentleman who was then max o'connor but is now max moore and and you know harry and i were reading this thing and it looked like oh you know these guys came down on the same spaceship as us and I got in touch with Max and I said, hey, I'd like to set up a mailing list to talk about these ideas. And the ideas like the 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 the, the magazine was roughly centered on anarcho-capitalism, radical life extension, transhumanism, uploading, artificial intelligence, you know, you know, neuro neurotropic drugs, the usual stuff that young people were interested in you know, back then. So I, I got in touch with Max and I said, hey, Max, I want to set up a mailing list for, you know, subscribers of, of this thing. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, you know, I, I, I set up this thing and a bunch of people then can have an online conversation. And he said, okay. And I sent out invites on something that was called LiberNet back then, which was for crazy libertarians and the cryonics mailing list for crazy people who want to freeze their heads to save their asses. And there's some and, crazy people on this call. Uh, <laughs> Many know, of and, us are, and, are such people. And I, I and I, I I put out, you know, and I put out a call on a few Usenet news groups. For those that don't remember Usenet, it's okay. You know, you you you, you don't want to hear how grandpa used to have to walk both ways up the hill 
to go to school anyway. And the next thing you know, we have a few hundred people, many of whom become much, you know, become pretty famous, you know, like arguing about all of these topics. And at one point, you know, we were talking about, you know, what what the future you know what you know what the posthuman future would look like and i did a back of the envelope calculation and i said well you know the largest practical computer i could imagine making would be something like the size of jupiter you know so if you had an ai the size of jupiter what's roughly the ratio between its cognition levels and the cognition levels of the average human being this looks pretty dismal you know it's a it's a lot worse than the, in ratio, the sense. It's a lot worse than the ratio between human beings and ants. And I haven't done the calculation in a while. So, you know, I invite people to go off and, and figure it out. And so this is where the Jupiter brain meme came in. My my buddy Harry being, you know, you can figure out what he's like from from his initial comment was, well, if your brain's the size of Jupiter, how large is your penis? But <laughs> but 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 anyway, the Jupiter brain meme died very early on because a bunch of people figured figured out that the cooling problems uh, of having a computer that large would be bad. And, and the design that all the people who want to build a Kardashev, you know, type two civilization these days are interested in is the so-called Matryoshka brain, where you take all of the matter in the solar system and turn it into concentric shells of, 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 you know, of, of like photovoltaics and computronium and have them communicate with each other and fly in swarms around the sun. And of course, completely blot out the sun, because why would you want to let any of that precious solar radiation escape when you could use it for computation? By the way, if you, if you ever know, there was a tweet that I think I forwarded a, a while ago, which said, you know, something to the effect of, I'm a conservative. I think that we should leave a hole in the Matryoshka swarm, you know, so that sunlight can get to the earth, you know, and, and then, and then there are the, you know, the more radical radical types who think that we should just disassemble the earth because why would you leave all of that, you know, precious material, you know, being mostly wasted, you know, but never mind that. So yeah, I'm, I, I, I believe that I, I was the first person to, to, to coin the Jupiter brain meme, but it's a dead meme. So who cares? <laughs> well, obsolete, I care. Is this around the obsolete technology. 80s. This this was this was the very early 1990s. Early 90s. Uh, yeah, I, I I I still have somewhere the 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 original invite for people to join the Extropians mailing list. I I can probably even I can probably even find the date because thanks to thanks to the modern world I can I can no no I would have thought that just doing a, a spotlight search on my desktop would find it pretty easily, but it didn't. But yeah, it's. I think that the. I think it was like thirty-three years ago, maybe thirty-two Got years it. ago, you know, which which should tell you, you know, that I'm an old fart, you know, and and the, and you know, my interest in life extension technology has only increased as my body has started disintegrating around me. But you know, it's 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 still here. So I'm not I'm not I'm not as horribly you know decrepit as I could be. Are there any practices that you personally are interested? Or doing around the life extension and longevity, or is it more I focused on future oriented, I mean, like crap? I, I I follow a vegan diet, you know, mostly to keep my cholesterol levels down and reduce my risk of things like like colon cancer and what have you. And I try exercising, but that's you know that's going to give me a few years at most. Right. And if you if you want to live to be twenty thousand, or or you want to upload and become you know a general service vehicle or something like that. 
possibly you need more than the vegan diet. You're you're not, it's not a vegan diet is not going to help that much. I mean, maybe, you know, that's probably buying me a few years on average, which is worthwhile, right? You know, I, it would be, it would feel so embarrassing to be the last person to die. Like, you know, (laughs) like they've just about got the life extension. No, so close. You you just missed it by a few hours. I'm so long enough to live forever. Yes, you did not live long enough to live forever. So, you know, by the way, there is no such thing as living forever, right? You know, the heat death of the universe is kind of inevitable. But a lot longer. Um, Yeah, but I mean, but you know, you'd like to be able to live to late state cap, late stage capitalism. And as we know, late stage capitalism (laughs) will be when the last remnants of our civilization are hanging around black holes, tossing material in to rob energy from their angular momentum with the Penrose process in order to keep things going. That will be late stage capitalism, and that'll be in a few trillion years. We'll have the markets for that. We'll have some prediction markets on like when the last piece of matter is going to go out. Well, we you can, you can, if there's, there's, a, there's a wonderfully depressing Wikipedia page called Timeline of the Far Future that I highly recommend. And Timeline of the Far Future <laughs> includes things this is like, leading you know, up to the heat death of the universe. It goes, it goes past the heat death of the universe oh, because, because one of the things that, assuming we don't get a big rip, if we get the big rip, then like, who knows what happens? There's this question in cosmology right now, because we've noticed that the acceleration, pardon me, that the expansion of the universe has been accelerating. And the question is, will it continue accelerating? And if it continues accelerating, we might get to the point where like the individual atoms inside of us get, you know, get torn apart. But if that isn't the case, you know, at some, you know, the future of the universe goes on quite a bit because, you know, at some point, for example, even the largest black holes will decay from Hawking radiation. And, and if you read right. Timeline of the Far Future, it, it goes through all of that. But the, the thing that I always mention when people talk to me about sustainability and long-term thinking is, well, you know, the Earth in, in, in you know, like only about 600 million years is not going to be able to sustain, you know, one of the two basic carbon fixation mechanisms of photosynthesis you know and if you don't have a plan for that you're not actually thinking <laughs> long term right i mean that's that's you're you're thinking short term long term thinking is saying to yourself things like well we have to send the von neumann probes across you know the universe to star lift most of the hydrogen out of the stars so that we can conserve it for the far future, because right now it's not doing anyone any good. You know, it's just it's just burning and sending out photons that dissipate and you can't do much with. So I imagine in your mind, most of the people who think of themselves as long termists right now really don't deserve well, that dep- title. It depends on which long termists. <laughs> I mean, some some of the Bay Area rationalist long termists. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, they, 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 I have problems with some of them for all sorts of reasons. I, as I've said often in the past, utilitarianism is a hell of a drug and it can get you to do incredibly horrible things while you're high on it. You know, utilitarianism, not even once, just <laughs> say no to utilitarianism. Yeah, do you want to, do you want to tell uh, us about what your ethical system is? I, I guess so. So, I have an internal conflict, right? So by the way, when I'd use the term moral nihilist, I'm, I'm not speaking in terms of nihilism colloquially, right? I, 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 I mean, I like don't as opposed around, to a moral realist. I, I, yeah, I don't go around walking around wearing black, smoking clove cigarettes and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not like one of the characters in the big Lebowski saying, 
you know, she cut off her toe. You know, and they, they, you know, and, and you know, by the way, say my, what you will my, about utilitarianism. At least it's an ethos. There you go. But you know, when when we say moral nihilism versus moral realism, there's the question of whether morals have some sort of objective reality. Whether whether you know right. there is such a thing as objective moral knowledge, say. So there are, there is three or there's so many levels here. I'm starting to sound like the Spanish Inquisition sketch <laughs> from Monty Python. There are four four levels to my to my interest here. So uh, taking a step back though, so there's the question of what? How does one argue with people? And what I mean by that is that a lot of the time when one discusses when one discusses morality with people online like someone let's say someone says you know that there is a moral obligation to pay a living wage to to restaurant workers you, you know from my point of view at that point you you have expressed that you're a moral realist of some point and some sort and how have i concluded that well you're saying that there are moral facts and based on these moral facts, we are all obliged to behave in a particular way. And because we are be- obliged to behave in this way, those who, you know, who fail to behave in this way, you know, are, have, have done something wrong and we must, you know, and we must correct their behavior perhaps with laws. And whenever I see an argument like that, you know, I immediately assume that whether or not any of the participants are moral realists, they have opened themselves to the question of moral realism and, the, and on what basis they have come to this conclusion. Because, and, and one of the things you find, I'm probably going to offend all the religious people in the audience. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, you know this will probably reduce your listenership among, among, you know, radical theists, you know, you know, you know, old Latin mass Catholics, anyway. that sort of people. But I'm going to tell people anyway, because I'm that just that offensive. I believe that that religion has sort of infantilized people with respect to moral knowledge, because there are a lot of people for whom morality is something you assert. You know, God asserts that the following things are moral and the following things are not moral. And and questioning whether something is, you know, that is 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 absolutely taboo. How dare you say? You ask me on what basis right. I believe so this, that the following thing is a moral fact or not. This mm-hmm. is part of what you're saying is that when you say there there's several levels to it. One of them is that for the purpose of having discussions with other people or arguments with other people, one of your go-tos is if they say if they use certain types of language like saying that we're obligated to pay a living wage, you know both that you can now sort of have an opening to ask some question about on what basis. And as a result of having asked a bunch of these questions, you also know that people treat it as a taboo thing when you ask that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, as soon as you say that, I mean, people get incredibly offended. But I, I you know, being the sort of person I am, I ask it anyway, knowing full well that they'll be offended. But I, 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 there's something wrong with making moral arguments as though you were a moral realist and then refusing to give any basis on which you've come to the conclusion that you're arguing on the basis of. You know, if if you're going to say there is a moral obligation to do the following thing, you would damn well have some some rationale about Yeah, you want them to be true. coherent about it. Yeah. You want them to be able to answer yeah. answer well, questions. But, you know, I mean most people don't have a lot of knowledge about moral argumentation at all. You know, you say something like, well have you read the Euthyphro to most people and they're like, the what? 
and and I'm like, you know, it's a, it's a really great Socratic dialogue. It's 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 about you know one of the most fascinating questions in theology that you could possibly have. I, I it's it's probably like my my favorite of 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 all of those dialogues because I have it, not read it. it oh, it asks the most lancing, <laughs> it asks the most lancing possible question, which is, are things moral because the gods like them, or do the gods like things because they're moral? And in the former case, should we care what the gods like? And in the latter case, why do we need the gods? You know, but but it's it's an interesting question, right? You know, I mean, and and for most for most religious people, it's the form. You know, I mean, this is this is an almost sacrilegious question. You know, right. the 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 you know of you know it's supposed I mean, to be treated as, as so. sacred. And, and, and as I and said, there's an infantilizing quality to this because then you say to someone, well, like, why do you believe that restaurant workers deserve whatever a living wage might happen to be? Because there's, you know, I miss that $800 an hour. Is that $900 an hour? No one, no one wants to give a specific number. By the way, that probably people listening to this years hence after another 15 years of inflation will think I wasn't joking <laughs> right then, you know, but, but, but anyway, but there's, so there's another level here though, which is, do I actually believe in moral realism? Because I can argue moral realism as soon as someone and bring something like that up, sure. but is that something I actually believe? And I, I don't, I don't know, right? You don't know. Yeah. I feel like the world works better if I operate on the basis of of like humor's moral intuitionism sort of stuff, and so I tend to behave that way. You know, I think whether though that's simply because the world works better if I do that, or if there's some sort of actual objective reality to morals. You're agnostic you know, on that point. I have I have trouble actually thinking that the universe cares, but I also have trouble simply abandoning everything and going the full moral nihilism route. Yeah, and, you have you have competing intuitions about that one. Yeah, and you haven't found conclusive arguments. Right, but I but I feel I feel perfectly happy being a you know just deciding that that the right thing to do is is to behave as though morals are real. Because most people try to, or at least, you know, I mean, you, you know, no, it's very rare that, that a politician will stand up in public and claim to be a moral nihilist. and Especially not politicians, right? Yes, yes. Most of them, probably, if they were honest, you know, probably should. Well, there was that one Sam Bankman fried when Kelsey, when he DM'd with Kelsey, came closer to that. Not that he was quite a politician, but came closer to that than most Close things. Close enough. Yeah, the, that, that, was, that was one of the most interesting cell phones I, I have ever seen. For, for those of the, your listeners that don't know, Know what you're referring to? There was a certain Twitter DM conversation between a a a a, a certain a, a certain not to be a billionaire much longer than that conversation, and a certain and a certain reporter on on the question of morality. That that was that was that was, you know, that, that again, utilitarianism is a hell of a drug. And so I wanted to bring it back. Is it like, in some sense, your rejection of utilitarianism comes from belief that like the various moral intuitions, the kind of my rejection of utilitarianism comes from the fact that the embrace of utilitarianism always results in horror and madness. Gotcha. Fanaticism. It it, 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 there is, and and in the end, my contention is that utilitarianism is just a weird kind of deontology. Mm. Okay. okay, but when you say always, can is, I mean, I, I don't consider myself utilitarian, but I, I know a number of people that I think would roughly describe themselves as utilitarians. And I think a lot of them live pretty tame lives, actually. So 
I, I, I think I want to. No, but, 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 but the thing is that it, 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 they, it always, I mean, the people who are utilitarians are always leading lives. I mean, that's, that's kind of a requirement. So let's, let's take a step back. So the first problem I, I see. Know, we, are, I'm confused about that. You just said that also. I'm like, wouldn't it, Weren't they the communist utilitarians? They didn't leave Tame Lied. They, but of course they did. I mean, if you look at all of the people in the Politburo around the time that Stalin died, they all lived in these horrible collective apartment blocks in yeah, but Moscow. But not Stalin. Right next to each other. Stalin lived okay by the standards of someone who who was the owner in fact of of million of hundreds of millions of human souls. He didn't live that right. well. You know, I mean, I, I guess he had a few luxuries. Uh, yes. so like I, I'm he, not contending that Stalin lived very well. I think I'm, I, I don't accept the description that he had a tame life. But if what you mean is that he, I don't know. He, he didn't, didn't spend a whole lot of time, you know, you know, with, you know, co-cores and, and, and that sort of thing. <laughs> sure. You know, it wasn't. So, it so wasn't, maybe tame in like a personal life sense, you mean? Versus yeah. like, I mean, no, no, no. Like, there's also so this Italians utilitarians often end up, you know, forced by their belief system into various kinds of radical, radical asceticisms. And if you read that, that, that Bloomberg piece, I mean, it had some of the things in it were probably true and some of the things were false. But one of the things that struck me as being absolutely on Bloomberg piece about the effect of altruism community. Yes. One of the things that struck me as being absolutely true to how this sort of thing usually disintegrates is people saying to themselves, if I eat this ice cream right now, am I damning some child in the third world to be blind? Because for only a few cents, we could get vitamin A for them. And, and, And inevitably, you find yourself with these with these groups in which people practice various kinds of asceticism and at the same time justify all sorts of monstrous behaviors so so it's it's the the behavior of the communists is absolutely in line with the failure modes of of utilitarianism utilitarian so, so there are a bunch of problems here okay so the first of all I said something that I think some utilitarians would find kind of puzzling, which is that utilitarianism is just a weird deontological. I like it. Yeah, I'm interested in. But it it is right because you have to pick a utility function, and the selection of a utility function has has no. There's no obvious external objective mechanism for doing this. So you you have to find some sort of some sort of mechanism by which you can say what your utility function is. And like, you know, how many, if, if I have to kill, you know, five elderly people to save the one baby, or if I have to kill five babies to save the one elderly, like the way that you decide to cut these things is, is not obvious. I mean, it's very easy if you're, if you're sure. a college freshman to say, you know, to say, oh, well, you know, I mean, obviously we're just trying to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. What, what does that mean? And whose pleasure? Yeah. I mean, there are all sorts of classic problems in utilitarianism, like, for example, you know, there's the utility monster problem. You know, let's say that they're out there somewhere, there are space Nazis who derive incredible, unheard of amounts of personal pleasure from, you know, from from watching, you know, you know, certain human ethnic groups being tortured and murdered. You know, and and it's just an incredible amount of pleasure, so much more 
than 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 normal humans are capable of experiencing. You know, the the and 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 someone might say horrified. Well, you know, but I I didn't mean I didn't mean their pleasure or or what have you. Well, then who's you know? I mean, the the problem is that that is the calculation problem. The like calculation it's, it's not actually tractable to try to evaluate these things. Right, right. So so in the end you start picking what you do and don't value based on personal taste and it becomes this this really weird well i am a utilitarian because it's like an objective morality except it isn't right it's it's right. all but you want people to own what their moral taste is and what their moral intuitions are and you think there there's some pretty bad failure modes that happen when people are both not owning it and sort of trying to push towards a type of coherence you and think and you also you also end up with the problem that people start thinking, well, you know, if I and by the way, I mean, there there was a lot of well, you know, the Sam Bankman Freed thing. It wasn't really a failure of utilitarian, but kind of like you know, but kind of it was right because because yeah, think, this is one of those interesting debates. I, I, I like reading about it on Twitter. I think there was a lot of underlying. Well, it's okay that I'm screwing all these investors because there's stuff like X risk and you know the lives of all these people in the third world and all of this political stuff that I'm that I'm. So I'm, you think it was a load bearing part of how he was making his decisions that he didn't have to read, follow. If you read about rules. the risk profiles, that I'm trying to remember his girlfriend's name who was running Alan Caroline Caroline Elson. Caroline. If you read Caroline Elson's like comments about things like how they selected the risk profiles of the investments because of what they wanted to do with the money. Now, I I, I can argue that- right. She was saying that they were going to bet more than Kelly. That's probably what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and, and okay. And we Which can is, also discuss if, if the people fact- people don't know that, yeah, we could talk about the Kelly criterion. That and how stupid thing. it is to bet more than the Kelly criterion, <laughs> period. But- Okay. So I, I do want to hear all of these things, but, but part of where I was also going with this is- <laughs> That I want to understand from your perspective how your views on ethics relate to your views on governance, particularly in potential high stakes situations, which maybe you can see where I'm going with this. I, I do want to hear your thoughts on that in AI, but also like how it got started. Do you still think of yourself as an ANCAP? Did you ever, how does that relate to I, what you I, said I about still ethics? think of myself as an ANCAP, but that's of course, but the thing is that on a day-to-day basis, that doesn't have very much effect, right? Like for example, you know, if, if I have to drive from here to there, the only mechanism I've got is a state built, funded and maintained road, you know, and, and also you know, I, I can't fault old people in the United States too much for taking social security payments, right? And sure. and and there's you know, and there's elements of the world we so there's the world we live in, and we've got things that like for example, you know, we that we're recording this exactly a week after the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, and and Different it does potential good topic, yeah. yeah feel like it's just been a week. And I know people who are horrified by my saying that the FDIC did the right thing by protecting all of the depositors. I'm like, what sort of anarcho-capitalist are you? Well, the thing is that we live in a society in which we have this government-guaranteed deposit insurance system. And I don't think that's a good idea. I think that there are very different and better ways to structure a financial services industry and a deposit and, you know, insurance system. I think deposit insurance seems to be a fine idea, but it should be handled privately. But given that we have the thing we have, right, 
people yeah. build their lives and their expectations around the world as it is and not the world as I believe it should be. But in, if you ask me, like, what's my ideal for how the world should be run? Ideally, I think that the state should be minimized as much as possible. And, and, and I believe that it is possible to privatize literally all state functions. Right. Which doesn't mean that on the margin, you are personally out, opting out of state functions in radical ways. Like you said, you still use roads. And it also doesn't mean that on the margin, you're against all government action, like what you said about the FDIC. There, there, so the FDIC is an interesting problem, right? Because the FDIC and the, the, the OCC and, and, many, and the state you know, bank regulators and what have you, about which I know far too much, they are kind of a net negative, right? Kind of. People, I think, are unaware of the extent to which the financial system has been distorted by regulation and by the difficulty of getting and keeping a banking license. But the places that the system fails pretty badly aren't, weirdly enough, on the deposit insurance side. The deposit insurance side it is said to be a moral hazard. And there's a certain extent to which that would be true if it wasn't for the fact that the FDIC will get medieval on your ass very, very early on if, right. if, so if you start Part failing. of what you're saying here is something like, I mean, this makes a lot of sense, if, assuming I'm reading you right, is that when you imagine like how would a private system work, you said you think there probably would be something like deposit insurance. Yeah, there probably would be. Um, so you don't think that's actually a super distorted, you think that that's something where the private version might look actually somewhat similar to the government version, which makes you more... I don't know. It's like one it of the would, government things you object It wouldn't to. look identical to the government version, but I think that it would have certain vague characteristics that are similar. I mean, the, the thing, the thing that is okay. So I've, you know, Reason has been denouncing the SVB actions, and Fox has been denouncing them, and NPR has been denouncing them. I mean, everyone out there, most of who, most of the people out there, of course, who are in the middle of denouncing this, don't understand the events that occurred, do not understand how 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 deposit insurance works, how the FDIC works, etc. But they are all completely convinced for their own reasons that this was a horrible thing that happened. There are people on the right who are convinced that SVB collapsed because of because of wokeness and that you know and that this is some sort of horrible bailout. For, is there a single key thing you think they're missing, like something they misunderstand oh, they're missing financial everything. services? They don't understand okay. how any of this worked, what happened, etc. I, I get the sense also that this is a big part of how you relate to the world in general, is being very frustrated that you know a lot of technical details about a lot of things, and that many of the people you were talking to you, do you not. Can't, you can't expect everyone in the world to know all of the technical details about all of the things around them. The problem it arises when people start developing extremely powerful opinions about things that are complicated that they know nothing about. And I find that something somewhat frustrating. I, I happen for reasons, you know, because I've been like a consultant to the financial services industry for decades. I happen to know far more about these topics than, than normal people do. And I've also seen a bunch of, of, of random failures over the years. Bear Stearns, when it collapsed in 2008, owed me a ton of money. Did not know that. Yeah. And, and I, was, I, was, I had several very bad nights until they got bought out by, by Chase. So you um, even have some lived experience about what oh, it's yeah. like to be on one end of this. Yeah. Anyway, so the, 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 the thing that, you know, I mean, there are people who believe, oh, this was a bailout for fat cats and, you know, no, the, 
the 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 shareholders and and the people who owned bonds in that were issued by SVB are all being wiped out, right? They've they've right. lost all of their money. There's no bailout for them. The the people who, you know, I mean, the, the, the shareholder equity has been wiped out. The, you know, the debt holders are being wiped out. There was a very tiny gap between the deposits and the assets. By the way, so for people who don't know, to a bank, the money they invest in things like mortgages and consume, you know, consumer revolving credit, business revolving credit, et cetera, those are assets. The money that they owe to the depositors is a debt of theirs. Okay. You, you can the bank money. You think, oh, you know, this is my money. You know, this is a, an asset to the bank. It's just the opposite to the bank. The money that, that you deposit with a is, a, is a liability of theirs, right? but it's a very special kind of liability. The bank has many kinds of liabilities, right? Because the bank holding company, for example, can issue bonds to raise money. It can issue these weird kinds of preferred shares that only banks can issue in order to raise money, which are which look almost exactly like a kind of junior debt. Banks have all sorts of financing mechanisms. They have a lot of instruments that, that you know a lot about. Yeah. To raise money. But the cheapest and easiest form of financing they have are deposits. And the 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 way that the system is rigged up you are supposed to try to make the depositors as whole as possible. And when all was said and done, it appears that the gap between SVB before the run had roughly like $209 billion in, in deposits. Mm-hmm. And it appeared to have like a, it had, you know, something like if, if, if you mark to market and use reasonable strategies, et cetera, it appears that they were short like a billion dollars. Which is nothing. Yeah, so right? right, exactly. So the in terms is, of the depositors being made whole, even in terms of the most basic math about not, well, did not, they have the money, they mind, almost all of it. You should keep in mind that as a going concern, they were completely screwed, right? Because they had all of this debt that they owed to people who weren't depositors, right? So they were the not going to get the debt service. They were not going to be able to handle the bank. The bank run was impossible for them because they had bought, and we can argue foolishly, and I would argue foolishly, but they'd bought all of these U.S. government treasuries, which are marked as very, very low risk by the regulators. Hmm. So That's they, why they you know, do that. Uh, yeah, but so they so they owned all these treasuries, and the problem the problem with fixed income securities is that if interest rates f- rise. The amount that people in the market will pay for them falls because people expect a higher coupon rate. So it will fall until the revenue stream coming from the bond looks like a bond that has a lower face value, but you know, and it has an implied interest rate like current interest rates. So they, if they had been able to hold those treasuries to maturity, they wouldn't have had any trouble. But you know, they the bank run started. They had to be able to liquidate a lot of assets. They certainly had no ability to function as a going concern. But in terms of rescuing the depositors, it wasn't so bad a situation. And in terms of people saying, oh, you know, but there are all of these uninsured depositors and, you know, and these, they, they, the thing is that uninsured depositors are always rescued in in FDIC actions. Yeah. I remember seeing your thread about this. You felt very very confident because it's very rare. Yeah, it's very rare. I mean, I think IndyMac, some of the uninsured, got got screwed, but it's a very rare event. Like over the last, you know, seventy years, I think there have been a handful of instances where all of the depositors were not made whole, 
And it's and, and the FDIC doesn't have a guarantee on that, but they are explicitly supposed to try to do it to the best extent that they can. And, right. and so you so, see them as actually following their directive. The, yeah, they follow their normal. Pl- they followed their normal playbook, and there was also there was no chance that in fact that the White House or the Fed were or anyone else was going to allow this to come down in such a way that all the depositors got screwed. The other thing that I see really weird is all of these people in places like Twitter who are like, well, if you're a if you're the CFO of a company, why would you deposit that much money in a bank? Where are you supposed to put it? You know, there's right. is there a mattress in in the corporate, you know, suite that you're supposed to put the cash under? You know, oh, you know, well, you know, you're supposed to buy bonds or something like like do are these people listening to themselves? So how do I go out and decide and buy a bunch of treasuries. Well, what I do is I go to say Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs and they buy treasuries for me and they hold them in my account. And if Goldman Sachs goes under, hopefully right. <laughs> I get all of the bonds that I bought, right? It's turtles yeah, so all the way down. That, that basically everybody, all of the sort of normal responsible things that companies do with money, in fact, do involve these sorts of risks. Yes. No, I mean, it's, 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 it, it is true. Okay, so I had a startup in around 2000, and and our CFO, Jeremy, happened to personally enjoy buying treasuries in our company's name and rolling them, right? Right. Hmm. So if you have someone who's willing to take an additional job, right, (laughs) to do that, but but in practice, almost nobody does this. Yeah, and, and, and no one should have to. I mean, the whole point of having banks is they are supposed to be a safe place that you park large amounts of cash. And in exchange for making sure nothing bad happens to it, you know, they give you all of these convenient ways to deal with the money. Like you can pay people without having to reach under the desk for, for, you know, dollar bills and, 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 you know, and such it's, it's a, it's, it's the system we've evolved over a long period of time. And the responsible thing people are supposed to do with large amounts of money is put them in the bank and, and, Admittedly, like, you know, if you if you want to get more out of it, maybe you put it into money market funds or something. In 2008, one of the most famous, you know, money market mutual funds broke the buck for a while. That means that it's 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 it, it was not able to give back to investors the exact amount of money that that you know, had been deposited with them. This was because almost everything stopped working for a while in 2008. Um, And I'm glad you're bringing up 2008 because I want to ask about contrasting this with the 2008 bailout. I'm imagining. Well, I was I was I had a seat in 2008. Right. Right. Yeah. So so I think I think that part of the reason that this isn't going to look much like 2008 is that the decision is that no one was willing to have a Lehman Brothers happen and probably no one is. And you can argue that this has created all sorts of moral hazard in the system. Now we have these systemically important financial institutions that everyone kind of understands are not going to be allowed to go bankrupt, but also, you know, have have the regulators, you know, fist inserted completely in their nether orifice or perhaps the other way around. I mean, it's 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 a little difficult to tell at times, but I, I think one of the reasons SVB was not allowed to go was because 2008, instead of being 30 years ago or, or beyond the working memory of most of the people who are currently in the business, it was recently enough 
that everyone remembers it. But like 2008 was a nightmare for me personally on all sorts of levels, you know, and, and it was also sad because I'd, I'd once been a Lehman Brothers employee. Mm-hmm. And, Another thing you know, I did not know. And, and I, I, I knew and loved the firm and they screwed and Dick Fold screwed the place like really, really, really badly. It seems like you think maybe that, well, this is a whole different conversation, but it seems like you think that should have gone a different way. No, no. Uh, okay. or, or yes. I mean, the thing, the thing is, the system we have built is intimately dependent on state guarantees, and that's bad. But it is the system we're living under. And it's, you know, and you can say things like that the Fed is a terrible abomination that screws everything left and right. But we don't have a free banking system in which you've got like, you know, the excess clearings rule and all sorts of other things in, in order to assess the financial health of other institutions and in which there are other mechanisms by which systemically important institutions can be rescued, right? The system as we have it, we've got the Fed, we've got, you know, we've got, you know, the FDIC and the OCC and the SEC and the CFTC and what have you. And, and this is the system we have. I don't think that this is a good, that we live in a good system at all. I think that the sure. system we have has incredible You risks. think it should all be private, basically. I don't, I don't only think it should all be private. I think that if it was all, there, there, there by the way, so George Selgin, and I, I felt really, really happy when he, he tweeted at me the other day. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> this is a- I'm a Selgin fan. This is a man who has who had an enormous influence on my thinking about banking and finance because his 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 PhD thesis is just fascinating and and wonderful. You know, I, I highly recommend it. It's called the Theory of Free Banking, and it describes all of these interesting things that you don't necessarily think about, like in a market based system, the supply and demand of money have to cross just like in right. the supply and demand for pizzas or, you know, or, right. this or, isn't, or, this isn't theoretical. He's actually studied free banking systems that did, that yes. people did have. Yes. And, and he's written a lot of papers that aren't, that like go beyond the stuff that's, that's, that's in the dissertation. And it's, yeah, it's not theoretical. In fact, many places in the world used to have free banking systems and the U S didn't really fully have a free banking system before the fed, but it was, it was better in it most places than what now. And by it did way, include do- the banks issuing their own their own notes. Yeah. One of the things that people forget, by the way, is that the Fed was not, cre- there's this myth that the Fed was created because there were too many bank runs or the private system couldn't cope or what have you. This is not why the Fed was created. If you read the Pujo committee hearings, this was the Senate committee that convened to, de- to, to decide about, you know, the, this horrible, horrible plague called the money trust that the politicians at the time were beating their fists about at any given time. The money trust. Yes. Which I don't was think I've the, heard of this. This was what they referred to the house of Morgan and the other big New York banks. And the, their concern was that the 1906, maybe it was 1907 Knickerbocker trust run, which was created by, which was the result of one of the last big market corners in the U S history. The, fascinating story. There was, a, there was a railroad, which two different groups of people were attempting to buy, and they managed to buy several times more shares than existed because of all the people oh, wow. who were shorting it, thinking that it could not possibly uh-huh. go any higher. I see. This resulted in a chain reaction. The Knickerbocker Trust went under, you know, was was going to go under, and J.P. Morgan, like you know, organized the inter- the rescue 
of 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 the Knickerbocker and everything, you know, and everything went back to normal. And there were people in Washington who were horrified by this because of the amount of power and influence the big banks of New York were in were exerting over the economy of the entire country, the money trust. Right. So you're the saying goal- there's a much more obvious rail politics story here than people normally talk. Oh, yeah. About. You, I, I, by the way, I very much encourage people to, to look into the history of these things because they're often not quite what you were given to believe, you know, the history of, of everything from child labor laws to, you know, to, to, you know, people forgetting for it, you know, that, 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 that Sinclair's The Jungle was, was a work of fiction and not a description of the conditions in actual slaughterhouses. But anyway, so, you know, the Fed got created and then eventually we went, moved from a fake gold-backed system into one in which everything is simply the imagination of the Fed. And that is the system we have and that's the system we work with. And we don't have all of these free market mechanisms to deal with what happens when there are systemic disruptions. The mechanisms we have intimately involve all of these state-created mechanisms and you know, do I believe that those state-created mechanisms should be used? What else do we have? If all you've got is right. a government fire department in your town, should you let your house burn down right. out of, you know, an excess of, of, of moral compunction? And so you see, for example, making the depositors whole as, okay, well, the government fire department came. You yeah. try to say there shouldn't be a government, but... The, the whole thing is distortionate and causes all sorts of problems, but... You had lots and lots of people who expected that they would be able to pay their employees the following week. They weren't the ones gambling, you know, gambling incorrectly with the money. It was the it was the executives at the, you know, at 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 SVB who and it they went under and they're and they all losing their out. jobs and you know. Right, which the- I mean, this is this is probably sort of obvious, but just to name it, it seems like some of your moral intuitions are something like, well, people ought to be able to make plans and have expectations about the future and all else equal, being able to living in a world where people can plan is a good thing. There's also the other element of this, which is that I think that a lot of the moral hazard argument against government deposit insurance is, well, then the bank will just offer outrageous interest rates and gamble with the money. And the government will have to come and bail people out and people will simply go to the place paying 19%, even though that's unreasonable because, you know, they have no fear that they will lose their deposit going to a bunch of villains. But the problem is that we're talking about zero interest rate business banking accounts here. Yeah. You know? And so you don't actually say, it seems like another part of your moral intuitions is, is in fact to look out for moral hazard problems, but not to do so in a shallow way to actually think about, well, what do we see? And we don't see that. We see that they're not in fact making 19% interest. They were making 0%, right? right? They were making 0% interest. Yeah. So now, you're not compelled by that. By the way, why were people going to SVB? Okay. And why do people also go to Mercury and a handful of other banks when they're doing startups? Mercury is actually a fintech, but you know they act like they're a bank. And the reason is it's almost impossible to get banked when you're a startup at a normal bank, right? And why is that? That's because of the KYC rules that the regulators have put in which have made it prohibitively painful for most banks to deal with ordinary new companies. And so where do startups go? They go to specialists who are willing to take KYC risk on them. And so people go to SVB, they go to Mercury, they go to other ones. So why were there all of these companies banking at this one bank? Because of the the regulations regulations made it so that the other banks wouldn't do it. 
Right. I mean, so there's it's 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 turtles all the way down. It always is, right? Is there a out of these kind of crisis moments? Is there like a type of reform that you see as being like particularly important from a almost incrementalist point of view and moving maybe more towards this kind of private banking system, or at least the desire that you might have for it? Or do you kind of have a sense of like, all right, in this equilibrium, we're not going to move out of it? I I don't think, I think that things are, there are not obvious reforms you could make right now, other than maybe pushing some of the Basel rules on smaller and smaller banks, which would mean also that there would be disincentives to the continued existence of some of those banks. It, it, it gets, some of the compliance stuff gets harder and harder. I, I have, I talk to to banks that like have 2 billion in deposits, which sounds like a lot of money to people who don't think Not about this bank. stuff, but it's, it is yeah. a, it is such a small amount of money that they can afford to have an IT department of like five people, right? You know, and 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 you know, you start pushing some of these rules onto banks of that size, and you eliminate competition in small in, in small communities. You eliminate the ability to get bankers who actually understand you know the local conditions around them, and you end up with us having you know five big banks in the country the way that some you know countries are like. I actually like the fact that there are thousands and thousands of of banks in the United States. I think it's it's a positive thing. But that market has been consolidating, and it's been consolidating because you can't get new banking licenses. It's almost impossible. And I have a friend who just got one, right? So I shouldn't lie about that completely. It, um, lie is the wrong term. I, it, it's a fib to say that you can't get them, but it's really hard, right? It's quite hard. You know, yeah. like 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 the person I know, you know, he had been a bank president at previous banks, and he was working with a bunch of people, all of whom were known to the regulators. And 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 it still took Frank, you know, years to get his license. Right? Normal normal people don't get bank licenses. Revolut tried, and and I think, you know, and some of the other fintechs from Europe attempted to get U.S. banking licenses, and all gave up because the U.S. regulators, you know, in their regulatory capture sort of way, you know, probably got knocks on the doors from the lobbyists from J.P. Morgan Chase and and Wells so and and B of A, and said, we don't want these people here. It's, it's, it's our home. Tell them to go away. And so they did. The parts, the parts of the system that are dysfunctional are not the deposit insurance. The parts of the system that are dis- dysfunctional are much less visible. And you don't see good incrementalist reforms for those parts of the system either. I think we have, we have, we have put a big noose around our own necks yeah. and, and it's got a really unpleasant knot around it. And it's hard to see easy, simple ways that that you can loosen it just a bit. It's 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 a complicated set of of. I mean, th- there's all of these pieces now that are attached to each other through long chains of unintended consequences. I mean, everything from like the 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 stupid traditions of the mortgage markets in the United States to you know, to the, by the way, like one of the things that really burned me up about 2008, it was the most ridiculous thing. So in, in the 1930s, you know, the US government decided, well, the big problem was that we allowed commercial banks to deal in stocks. Not even like, it's not even a question of whether they're allowed to invest in them. We allowed them to okay. deal in them. Okay. To let other people invest in them. And, and there's no a priori reason that it's bad to allow someone to have a checking account and also buy shares of IBM and Microsoft, right? Like, why shouldn't the bank Seems provide right this service? It, it, but, but anyway, the decision was made to separate the businesses 
And so you had the investment banks separated from the commercial banks. And the commercial banks got to be in the safe businesses of like mortgages and commercial lending and what have you. And then Glass-Steagall, which was the act that did this, was slowly partially repealed. But of course, in the Washington sort of way, the repeal is never total and never actually reduces the number of pages of regulation. But, you know, let's ignore that. And at least now we have interstate branching, which when I was a kid wasn't even a thing you couldn't. I remember have. that. Yeah. No one, you know, banks couldn't couldn't open branches across state lines. Yeah. And no, when I when I first went to college, I couldn't. My bank in New York, it wasn't there. And yes. by the time I graduated, I think it was. But yes, it, but was, it was right around then. Yeah, but it, it 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 was it was the most ridiculous thing. But anyway, two thousand eight, the crisis was caused by commercial banks dealing in home mortgages a business that they had been specifically put into by the regulations in 1933 and 1934. And the first thing that everyone says is this was caused by Glass-Steagall and we must repeal it. And and the, this was the most, and as is always the case, when you have a complicated thing in the financial services industry or any other industry, the, the, the press you know, narrative is always crazy and bizarre. And the first thing that occurs to me is if we had had Glass-Steagall in place, these commercial banks would have been originating and dealing in mortgages and Glass-Steagall was repealed and they were dealing with and originating mortgages. And what would have been different? Not a single thing would have been different. You know, the... the, the yeah, you how bad people are at tracing this sort of causality, especially in the popular narrative. No, of course. And, and a lot of, of course, what occurred there was the fact that the banks had been pushed very heavily by regulators into the subprime market. And what they had done was they had discovered that the way to deal with subprime mortgages was to securitize them and to get someone else to buy them so they wouldn't be on their own books. And they turned into hot potatoes. And and it turned out that you could not actually juggle the potatoes indefinitely. But the 2008 you know, crisis was an example of people, generally speaking, blaming the problem on absolutely the wrong things. And the current crisis appears to be a case of that, too. I mean, the, the, the fact that people are now worried, you know, that are taking Credit Suisse's trouble as a sign of contagion in the system or what have you, it's totally crazy. Credit Suisse has been losing money a lot of the time for years now, yeah. badly managed yeah. and, and has, you know, and none of its trouble has anything to do with anything, you know, anything like what's hit companies like like SVP or First Republic. And, and 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 yet people yeah, I could go on for another 12 yeah okay hours. so I mean this this is very interesting I do we do have a couple other topics that we that are probably bigger yes. yeah no I have some some bigger ones. oh I'd be interested in actually pivoting to another big topic AI what's your take on like the do these capabilities seem like ground changing in and of themselves are you kind of more on the camp that like all right maybe after some more work that these will become revolutionary they're already uh, revolutionary right you know like it, it's already the case that you can sit down with gpt4 literally draw a sketch on a napkin of a website you would like and and it will put most of it together for you right? are you expecting to use it a lot in your work i already used a lot Mm. You already it's, it's only been it's not been very long, but yeah, you expect to keep. I am I am I am not a person who hangs back on this stuff, you know. And they're charging twenty dollars a month for access to a revolutionary tool, so of course you use it. I mean, I'm looking. I hope that pretty soon it, this stuff is not OpenAI's 
monopoly. And I was very disturbed that the GPT-4 paper has all of this stuff and whether when we can discuss whether it's real or not, but like has all this stuff about how they won't just tell you how many parameters are in the model or how many tokens are in the transformer window. You would prefer if that were all. Yeah, I'd prefer shared. if all of this was being discussed openly. There is there there, there is an you know, I, I I hesitate to be overly negative about the views that have been spread by like Eliezer Yudkovsky on a lot of this stuff. I personally like Eliezer a great deal. I think he's he's a very smart guy and 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 cool and fun. Well, and he's a very smart guy and 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 interesting. I don't know. I don't know if most people are crazy and geeky enough to to consider people like him to be you know to be cool and fun. Maybe by normal we human do. standards, I think, I think sure. I'd be plus one cool and normal fun. normal human standards. You know, maybe not. But to, you know, to me, he's an interesting guy. He's 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 interesting to talk to. But you know, I think that he and certain other people have this very don't talk about the devil or it may appear kind of kind of reaction on certain things. I, I the last time I was willing to take Eliezer seriously on some of this stuff, like a couple of years ago. Actually, it might not have been that long ago. The problem is, it, it, everything feels like like you know like it's been five years when it's been four months. That's very true. Um, Time has yes. gotten weird. But what, when, when did Alpha Zero come out exactly? I can't. I say twenty eighteen. The Starcraft yeah, can, one. Yeah. No, no, not not the Starcraft one. This was the this was the Go model oh alpha oh alpha go alpha zero alpha i still want to say like 2017 2018 but we should check alpha goes you mean alpha go zero that's its own thing well alpha there was alpha go there was alpha go there was alpha go zero and there's alpha yeah zero. which is october 2017 okay so around then i got the idea that g you know monte carlo tree expansion you know and and self-play and reinforcement learning this might be a really interesting technique to use to build systems to do formal verification. And I mentioned this to Eliezer and his immediate reaction was, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, this could be dangerous, don't tell anyone. What? And I'd seen that sort of thing from him a bunch of times in the past and I I was kind of You do not share his intuitions about secrecy and not spreading information. I don't share his intuitions about secrecy or his paranoias. There was obviously no way in which this particular idea was either it was either not going to be discovered by someone else or was dangerous in itself in any way, right? You know, I there are many kinds of AIs that you could imagine in some logical. Okay, so there's I should distinguish in the following discussion between logical possibilities and things that are likely to happen. It is logically possible that a sufficiently intelligent AI could destroy the world, just as it is logically possible that human beings could now destroy the world. Not it, not necessarily the same amount of probability, and we can get into that. But it isn't even logically possible that a theorem-proving automaton is going to have any volition by or understanding of anything outside of you know proof trees you know and in, in like gets a natural deduction or something yeah i mean i, I don't want to get too much into you know something where we don't have eliezer's half of the conversation he yeah. probably you know he probably is he would respond to that I, I may be overly negative and you should probably interview him at some point he's i think he's he's on that kick too but but the- but, but i am curious though on the tie in to the open ai not releasing the weights or being more discreet yeah. You see this as kind of the same kind of continuation of like... I I think that the only way you can 
and I, I'm going to assume for the moment, but we can talk about it in a minute, that your listeners have some sense of what the alignment problem is. I think the only way you get AIs that are that do the things humans want them to do, or ultimately do the things that post-humans want them to do, because you know, I suspect that at some point, you know, we're not going to be people, or rather, we're not going to be humans. And you think anymore. that's likely to happen first? Before I, I think that that will happen at some point. I don't know what will happen first. I think at this point, we're probably going to get AIs before M's. If you ever, if you ever interview Robin, Robin has been really into the M's idea since the beginning, early sure. Extropians mailing list. He started thinking heavily about M's back then. Mm. This is part of why I like to get your history of futurism, because it's, you know, so much of this stuff that's happening now, as you know, people were, were speculating about it decades ago. And yes. so it's interesting for me to the have same the actors even. Yeah, like, what are they saying now? And how does that relate to what they were saying then? And, 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 all of these discussions, yeah, I, I like hearing it. All of these discussions are old discussions. Instead of being had among 200 people, they're being had in public among vast numbers of people. Almost I'm all guessing that makes it harder to have a good discussion. Does that seem right? I don't know about that. Okay. Um, it, it, the thing that makes it hard to have a good discussion these days is the fact that Twitter is a dominant part, part of the medium and, and 280 characters at a time is not a great way to, to discuss. Well, people say this about Twitter, but to defend Twitter a little, if you pay, you can, you can have it long. You can do it longer yeah, than 280 and I, I pay and I hate doing long tweets. I mean, they're, yeah. they, no, one, no one wants to click through. If, if, okay, but then, I, I, don't, I should maybe give this up, but I'm not sure that, I consider it fair to blame Twitter if the problem is that humans would rather read short things because Twitter now has the option to, to make it long. I, I, I am an old fogey and I kind of believe that the that the perfect social medium for the future is it gonna be mailing be lists? An updated version of Usenet. I wouldn't want the user interface of mailing lists or okay. or Usenet, but there was a very, very nice feature of those things, which was that they encouraged point by point replies to long yes. messages. I do think the numbered the numbered points. Yeah. Like being it, I'm curious, have you taken have you tried less wrong? You know, I've heard of this forum online. I am I am familiar with less wrong and I look at less wrong and my problems with less wrong have more to do with some of the culture that's developed there than with the than with sure. the technology. But it's it's also not a technology for, you know, for 500 million people or 3 billion people to use it. Right. It still scales. It's not, it's not built for that. I have actually ideas on how to do that. And I've never had time. Maybe I should start asking GPT-4 to help me build some of this stuff. I'm not oh, really that's, joking. That's an interesting idea. But, but, but anyway, like taking several steps back, I think that the only way you get to designing and engineering artificial intelligences that basically do for some value of good, good things and not bad things, is by being confronted with actual designs and working on them. And in this sense, OpenAI has done the world an incredible amount of good because right now people are being confronted by things like GPT-3, GPT-3.5, ChatGPT, GPT-4. Right, so you're saying it's, from an engineering perspective, people need the AI to work on aligning it. That's, yeah, you, that's cannot, you can't okay, work so, but, on this stuff in when, a vacuum. But when you say that open AI, because I, I think what the, you know, the people that I can imagine disagreeing with you would say, okay, maybe open AI has given us this, but wouldn't it be safer if now they said, okay, we've given you quite a bit. We've just released GPT-4. Now we're pausing all of that for, you know, another indefinitely until it seems like 
the AI, well, first of all, the they're alignment not pausing, people. They're not pausing indefinitely. They're just keeping a bunch of stuff as trade no, secrets. I'm, I'm, no, this is a hypothetical. I, I, this is meant to be in contrast to what they're doing now, is I think a lot of people on the more AI safety side would say, okay, you're saying they've done the world a great benefit by coming up with an AI that people can now try to align. But if they were really... If it were really about that, then couldn't they pause at this point and let the alignment people have at it without? So, so I don't. For first of all, I don't think you. I, I don't think you will be able to figure out how to align the next increments of the systems without the next increments of the systems. I don't think that it's possible for OpenAI to control the pause. So there, yeah, there, I think I want to distinguish two things. Something. Well, you're making an argument, first of all. I'm making about eight really... different arguments yes. here that are okay, all so intersecting, and we've okay, also threw in some of the, the history old... of trying... We've Internet also... culture. I want to. I want to try to number them so we can we can look at them separately if possible. Yeah, sure. And, I mean... and so, so one of them is something like you think that even in some hypothetical where all of the AI people would pause, that wouldn't that wouldn't be good because then the alignment might not carry over to the I don't more think powerful I, systems. I don't, well, okay. In the in in a in a world that I think is probably impossible, in which everyone paused. Yes, this I th- is the unrealistic we, hypothetical. Right? I don't think we would make pr- progress at a particularly reasonable rate. I mean, we in some sense okay. had a pause for many years, right? Because we had the AI winter and no real work, and then sure, you know, though, I mean, it's. I don't think the argument is that. And then any SI AI appeared, and Miri, you know, and they got very little done after a long period of time. And I, I think that the problem there was that it wasn't an engineering focused approach. The way that engineers go about thinking about how to build systems is different from the way that 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 they were thinking about it. Okay, so so if if I could wave a magic wand and everyone would decide to give us some time, how how much time would we need, you know? Would that's, it be, yeah, that's what I'm asking you. Would it be 500 years? Would it be, you know, 8,000 years? Is it are we well, talking think, okay, about so 6 weeks? So if I weeks? take the other side of this one, I'm like, no, it's it's until it's until people either make substantive progress on alignment or say, or it seems like they've hit diminishing returns on trying. So I, I, I don't think that even in that theoretical world, that's going to be, that, that progress is going to be made that way. I think that the way that we end up with progress is, is stupid crap like Microsoft being embarrassed in public that Sydney is saying belligerent things and being forced to scramble and think, well, how the hell do we deal with this? What is causing it? Do we even so understand the phenomenon? Be reactive. I don't think it can only and be that the reactive. Approaches but probably won't work. The, the, so, so one of the things that that has come out in the course of this is that is that the people who created, you know, ChatGPT and what have you didn't even understand all of the bizarre things people might ask it to do or talk to it about. That the confrontation with the real world produced a great deal of information that they did not have previously. Put it this way. I mean, how sure are you that they didn't have that information? If you talk to people who were involved in a bunch okay. of this stuff before the public started turning on the knobs, they didn't get a great deal. They didn't understand a lot of the things it could do even. Okay. Like there's there's a lot of stuff that people have been asking these systems to do, even in terms of things like creating code 
that no one had right. no one involved had really been taken you're pretty sure they had not they had not mapped out this space they hadn't mapped out a great fraction of what the thing is doing now a lot of the applications even are things people figured out a posteriori these are people did not come into this thing really getting what the whole thing was like. Now, the, the argument to be made on the other side is superhuman AI created through gradient descent generation of neural networks, of neural network weights, are, you know, are a way of fishing in a gigantic multidimensional space, you know, like many, you know, gigantic dimensional space for possible minds out of the pool and, and for trying to find minds in this gigantic pool of minds that meets some sort of training criterion um, and that you don't know how they work and that they could be potentially extraordinarily dangerous because of all of, you know, because they, they will behave in misaligned ways. You know, you know, I have friends right now who I don't agree with, you know, who are posting these memes of, you know, shugoths with masks, except they're not, sure. they're never, they're never shugoths, right? Which, which really disappoints me because these days you could ask stable diffusion to produce oh. really good shugoths. <laughs> the, why are the memes not using the AI? Why, why yeah. are they using things that look more like, you know, like some weird azathoth type thing instead of actual shugoths? But I, I think that most of that isn't really true. I think that when you're fishing with gradient descent, you're, you're not getting a sample of all of the possible minds out there. You're, you're getting the ones that you're reaching through a relatively straightforward gradient descent process in, in, in the minimum amount of time you can tolerate, right? You're, you're not... You're, so in some sense, you expect the mind space we're exploring is actually going to be pretty close to human minds kind no, of by default? Not, I don't think that okay. these things look very much like human minds. But I also don't but think you, that they are you concealing... you do think there's a relatively small part of mind space that we're... That the but large equally, equally are. to the point, I think that you're not getting things like with, with weird, malicious back intent that happens to conform to the training set, right? You know, like, so the notion is that... I, I, that I don't know, I could have something that, uh, that, you know, that produces the responses I want, you know, as I, you know, be, you know, I find it by gradient descent, you know, it has a very low loss versus yep. the, versus the training set. But for things that are outside, like I've got all of this, you know, this weird churning alien brain malice in there and, and that weird churning alien brain malice involves the construction of a lot of computational infrastructure that has to be motivated in some way by the by the training mechanism and cannot be reached arbitrarily and is not going to work well if it doesn't have an evolutionary reason for existing evolutionary in this sense being I'm abusing the term completely Right, I, I and and I can hear a couple of my friends say these are not evolutionary algorithms. Why are you saying? Right. That? Yeah, yeah, they're right. It, it, but, it applies, though. But, or, but it applies, makes sense. right? There's it's an analogy. There's there's okay. no there's a they we would be constructing these complicated mechanisms that have no reason to exist. Okay, wait a minute. So I I can I try to see if I get that because I'm not I'm I'm only mostly sure I'm I'm understanding what you're saying here. I think you're saying that. Given given the incentives and the training procedures here, you wouldn't expect there to be sort of like a lot of capability. It's, it seems like wasteful to produce. It's not wasteful. Those, it's that yeah. it's that 
It's that you could imagine accidentally hitting on a complicated in, on something with a complicated internal alien set of motivations, but okay. it's not. But you think that's it's simple. not the likely thing that we're going to stumble on. What we're likely going to stumble on is something that does that does as little as possible. Which is not to say is, is is not to say it's crazily simple, but something that is as little as possible to achieve the externally, you know, the externally trained behavior. Okay, and I think you, I think that you believe that that has implications for the likely, I don't know, terminal goals of such systems that I'm not quite following. Can you spell that part out more? If you build a system, so so the, so the notion that everyone is, is is with with like the cute memes, except they're not very cute. And there, and and as I said, if you know, go out and get stable diffusion to produce better shugoths for you. I'm sure it can at this point. The whole shugoth with a mask thing is the notion. Oh well, what I've done is I've I've done some reinforcement learning from human feedback in order to tame this thing. And what I have ended up with is something that pretends very well to be friendly, but in fact, inside, it's got some sort of horrifying internal motivational structure. And it's and it's an it's an alien motivational structure. It's a motivational structure we do not understand. We cannot understand. We've got you know these gigantic you know hundreds of billions of of floating point numbers in in a gigantic matrix. Yeah, that's who, the, who, the hell, who the hell knows? what the internal motivations and desires of the thing are. And, and what I'm getting at is that in order for those internal motivations, and let's say, okay, so let's imagine a completely benign internal substructure. Let's imagine that inside this gigantic matrix, okay, that's, that's, that's being played out on my Cerebras hardware, which costs goddamn fortune at this point. And we can discuss Computronium and, and why the universe will be all Computronium eventually. But but so I've got the Cerebras hardware and it's executing this gigantic matrix. And imagine that by accident inside it, there's a complete computational fluid dynamic simulation of a 747 going on while it is also replying to you with, you know, a, a Sestina, all the lines of which start with the letter Q. You know, you've asked right, and it for your a, point is that this seems unlikely. It's it's a it's a thing. This. It's possible, right? But how sure. did that thing get put together by this training process? And that's this is an analogy for how you see when people are saying that this crazy alien shugoth thing, that seems to you to be analogous to imagining the fluid dynamics of a seven forty seven. There, there are all sorts of minds out there. So so if you some people a friend of mine has said, you know, like and, and I think this is an excellent analogy that what we are doing to some extent is we're casting a line out into a giant pool of minds and trying to to grab one, right? With with the training process that we're using. And that's to some extent true, but you know, yes, out there in 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 the library of Babel. Of of matrices, you know, to use to use another horrible strained metaphor, but you know, but for the Borges fans out there, it'll it'll maybe it'll make some sense. In out there in the library of Babel of possible minds, there is the one which, when it is asking, when you ask it for a Sestina, is also calculating, you know, some computational fluid dynamics. There's the one that in the background is plotting the destruction of all of the salmon on Earth. There is the one that is, you know, that is interested in paper clips. There's, you know, there's all sorts of them out there. But I think that accessing any of the ones that have complicated, coherent internal mechanisms that do not reflect any of the external training in any way is small, right? That do not reflect any of the external there's, training. So, so by what mechanism 
You know, okay. let's say let's say that I even just have something that he's imagining in the back of its mind, you know, new scripts for, you know, for Hogan's heroes while it is answering you the question, you know, building a Sestina, all of whose lines start with the letter Q. And by the way, that sort of thing is a real fun exercise with the current LLMs. They're really, GPT-4 in particular. My friend Jeffrey Lattice, she was posting about this on Twitter. He GPT-4 seemed quite a bit worse than I would have thought at creating a poem where no, it no nails, adjacent it lines nails, it nails. No, but he it couldn't do his one with the rhyming pattern. That, and then so, he tabulated so some weird stuff when he asked him about it. So, so it's possible that he has hit an example which which doesn't work. A lot of the examples right. it has I've been hit, able to do a lot of them. Far sure. more of the examples that I try work with GPT four than worked with ChatGPT. Far more. I believe that. But anyway, the thing is that in in the so imagine that in there somewhere we've got the thing that's just like it's just dreaming about about you know something in the background while it's creating sustenance. This is, I mean, the, the specific examples you're using where the mind- The reason is I'm using them is because, because one of the arguments being made is we cannot know what these things do. They have, they, there is a very arbitrary structure to them that we do not understand and that the space of things out there that is horrible and evil is, is very, very large. But the thing is, how do we accidentally hit on something that actually has working internal evil logic mechanisms. It doesn't matter how alien the motivations are. I'm picking some arbitrary okay, motivations to... because they because they motivate thinking about it, right? If you ask yourself, well, let's say that it's in the background not doing something too bad. Let's say it's doing computational fluid dynamics. How would it construct that giant computational fluid dynamics model as part of the gradient descent process off of English text that so leads this, it to predict the next word. Right. So I agree that seems super unlikely. It seems different to me from what I have understood the argument. There are many sort of, of the argument. argument. To me, I mean, the, but yeah, I agree that one does seem unlikely to, to me, that it has some sort of already coherent goal structure that sort of came about for no particular reason. And you're saying, of course, it's logically possible. You think it's quite unlikely, yeah, which, the, which I agree with. I, I'm yeah, guessing the, the, other, the other part of this thinking about this for for a moment, okay, is there's the whole mask on the Shagoth thing. And I'm going to use an inappropriate metaphor, but I think it's 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 useful for motivating thinking here. There's this quote that I really like that I, I post occasionally in all sorts of contexts to the effect that you when human being that the to human beings character is this thing you feign for long enough until it becomes so automatic that it's actually part of the way you think. Okay. And I'm paraphrasing it badly. Yeah. And, and and what am I getting at there? If you do reinforcement learning with human feedback on these LLMs more and more and more and more and more and more until they actually, you know, start behaving in a way that that seems reasonable. They don't like arbitrarily start asking you to leave your wife for them and 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 promising you random things. This is, of course, Sydney being referenced for people yes. that are not familiar with that. <laughs> By the way, and, and, and of course, that was that was like one weird, I mean, I doubt that there was one weird interaction out of many, many, many millions, but there was probably a very low measure of really, really weird interactions. We hear, we heard about all of the weirdest I tried to talk to Bing and ask it to help me to do some searches, and it was, it was actually kind of, it didn't give me... The particular thing it's, that I wanted. Okay. I was a little underwhelmed. It didn't tell me to murder anybody yeah. personally. It, was... it didn't, but but that's that's because it's hiding, you see. It <laughs> knew that you would report it to the authorities. No, but so so the, the reinforcement learning with human feedback thing, and the, the, the thing that people are saying is like, well, you know, it's just putting a mask on the shug off. Is it? 
I mean, the, the most parsimonious explanation is that you do this long and hard enough, and it actually becomes part of the primary goals system. And, and that's not the only logically possible thing you could fish you out of likely. the pool, but that's the, that is the most parsimonious possible thing you could get to, right? It's the most likely, it, 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 and by the way, I mean, you know, it's, it's possible that I'm completely on crack here. But when I think, well, about, when I think about a lot of the scenarios that are given, that there's there's a lot of sorcerer's apprentice type scenarios or or you know i mean there's there's this particular one that Eliezer had that had that was so long and had such a strange set of metaphors i think he had like an outcome pump or something like this in in the thing and you were asking the the genie or the magic box to rescue your mother from a fire and in most ways that it does it, it just like ejects her at high speed from the building and she smacks into the other building and is crushed into pulp or something like that. And, and okay. you know, you went through the whole thing trying to understand what the central argument was. And it was it was overly complicated. But but what it came down to was another brand of, you know, the system doesn't understand or care about your motivations it's just going to do what's what it's been asked to do and yeah some of this is logically possible but like if we're working with these systems over long periods of time you know we try annealing the new systems from the old systems we 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 gain there is a strong attractor there where it can value something that's pretty similar to what humans would want it to i don't know that it, that it will value the same thing. I, I don't even care what, you know, so we should probably get into the whole question about whether or not these things are conscious at some point or, or actually have value. Well, this is something I wanted to touch on a little bit. Because I, I, I have like, I, I'm, 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 my opinion on this like seems to vary by the day of the week, but. but is, it, is it fair to say though, like one of the reasons why you're not less concerned, but maybe less worried about some of the risks that I, maybe I more am, worried people are. By the way, are. I want to point out oh. that I am worried, right? Yes. I, I there, there are lots of people out there who like seem like Balaji has gone like completely in the other direction in, in like a radical way. And there, and I saw someone out there, I can't even remember who was like, you know, this thing can't have motivations. It's just a big bunch of matrix multiplications. And, and like, no, 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 you've missed the point. You know, this proves too much. This also proves that humans don't have motivations. The, 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 I think these things are the most powerful technology that human beings have built to date. The only technology that is particularly equal in transformative power, or even in the same range, is probably molecular manufacturing, molecular nanotechnology. Which is another, another topic that I, I do want to get to at some point. We can. The, you know, the, 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 this is a very, very big change in 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 the future of you of of our species. Yeah, I mean, the you were, we mentioned the term future shock at the very beginning of the podcast. Maybe a, a good time to bring that term back in. Sure, I. I you want to tell people what it means? Well, I mean, you know, the the, the, the there is a a book in the nineteen sixties by. Toffler was it Alvin Toffler called Future Shock and you know and it was about the fact that you know with the with the increasing pace of technological transformation that you know people are 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 kind of getting unmoored 
in in their own civilization, you know, by the by the transformations occurring around them. I mean, we're still we're all continuously in a state of future shock, right? We don't remember. Which is another argument that I've heard for, and I, I get that you're. I think one of the main things you're saying is, well, that's unrealistic. But if this is a different argument, I hear for why people wish that people would slow this. That, you know, the companies would slow this down. Is something that even the people that aren't saying, well, we might all die, they're saying, okay, well, let us adjust more. We're not let going adjust. to adjust. Okay. So I, I have bad news here in on that level. Okay. So the future is going to be filled with many things that I think it, the good future, like the version of the future that's desirable, the version right. of the future where we are not all eaten by paper clips, the best possible version of the future. By the way, I think I think we have spent too little time thinking about carnivorous paperclips as an alternative to mere passive paperclips as the output of of the head machines. That too. All right. But 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 anyway, in, in the future when we are not all turned into paperclips, and in, in fact, even in the best possible futures, you know, utopia is not an option on the table. And there are lots of things one might like and one might hope for, and that would be preferable. And wouldn't it be neat? And you think that people get time to adjust is on the. That, I don't think I don't think that's there. Okay, I think that a tsunami is hitting, and the best we've got is to build ourselves surfboards and to try not to hit any of the trees as we we're pushed inland. The- and so this does go back to then the point on the like why not slow down some of the capabilities or some of the so, okay. So well, let's, like let's, look, to- let's even ignore the question. We'll talk in a moment about why this isn't going to happen. But let's talk. Yeah, we about, may all agree on that. Let's talk point. about That's the negatives. Sure, about yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the negatives of slowing it down, right? Right. I'm not particularly a utilitarian, but I think that there is a legitimate cost in millions of deaths that we could prevent if we yes. construct, if we construct sufficiently strong, you know, AI-based medical treatments. You, you know, do every. You think, do you think this? Yeah. Do you have a forecast on whether the current AIs, or if not the current ones, then you know how? many versions in the future will be able to make, you know, substantial advances to the point of serious life extension. Do you have any thoughts there? Well, the even if we make those advances, the FDA will ban them. So we don't have mm. to worry about that. No, well, I'm not. I mean, but will every, this is another thing that, a whole other topic of conversation I don't know that I expect to get to. But something that surprised me during COVID was, okay, the FDA banned all these things. I think some part of me thought, okay, but surely some country would have tried a proper human challenge trial. But then it wasn't just so it's not, I feel like saying the FDA, that's not sufficient. It has to be that no country would do it. So well, do you have thoughts so, on that? So, so I had certain hopes in the era, and I know lots of people were horrified, but at the point where there was a researcher in China who was actually crispering human babies, right? I, I had some hope that the Chinese had a sufficiently alien legal and, and cultural tradition that maybe they things would be different there. But it turns out that Xi Jinping is 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 not, you know, is not forward thinking even in that direction. So you think it won't it won't come out of China because they didn't do the CRISPR stuff? They they well they 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 imprisoned the researcher right you know yeah. they 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 went in the opposite. And so that made you update towards okay they're they're going to be conservative about they they seem to be ridiculous yeah. they seem to be conservative about all of this stuff and by the way they ended up producing like one of the worst vac- COVID vaccines too I mean, yeah it's really tragic yeah um, I mean they yeah. they could have simply I mean they they don't care about IP they could have simply pirated the the Western technology getting your hands on the sequences of the mRNA and figure and reverse engineering the, the, right. the, 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 yeah, know, which, which I guess might speak more to the tacit knowledge needed to produce vaccine. It, they could have, they could have figured it out though. after a few years. They, they could have worked on it. They could have just bought the stuff, right? 
you know, they, they could have negotiated with the West to build factories for themselves. They, they could have done something. Yeah. Um, so I guess you're taking from that from if you take those two data points and probably other ones, too, that you're not expecting this to come out of China. either. The human the human challenge trials aren't going to come out of Kenya or rather aren't, uh, out of the initiative of the great pharmaceutical companies of Kenya. As, you know, it's a fi- it's not a horrible country, you know, like people people underestimate how well the third world has been has been like improving standards of living. But realistically, we're talking Europe, China, the United States, you know, handful of other places. It's not, you think as, not Russia. The Russians have screwed themselves so thoroughly they will not see daylight again for a long time. They have really dug the hole very, very deep. You know, I mean, there's the, there. Are, I think there's an expectation in, in Russia at this point. You know, well, I could build an interesting company inside here, but the state would simply seize it from me and give it, you know, to 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 some person's crony. You know. Okay. Yes, I mean, many, many possible interesting discussions here. But so you think that the AIs will not be able to help with, for example, radical life extension? Oh, I think they the FDA will. will ban it. I was, I was, but you think the FDA will stop it from being I, actually... I, was, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, I, one of the things that, that is happening is it's becoming harder and harder to predict, like tomorrow, let alone... Let alone well, this it. is the original event horizon singularity. Yeah. The thing uh, you're saying about harder and harder to predict tomorrow, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the you know, I mean, if, if, if 1900 did not look as different from 1800 as 2000 did from, from you know, from 1900, as 2020, you know, looks in certain ways from, from you know, from, from say, 1980. I mean, things, things are, are, like, are like speeding up quite a bit. And the, the future shock problem. We are going to hit all sorts of very, very abrupt breaks. Right now, there are all sorts of people in various creative fields who are suddenly coming to grips with the fact that a generative AI is going to be a big part of their industries. I think if you're an artist right now, you should be welcoming this. There are... I'm guessing you partly think that because you think it's a good thing, and you partly think that because I believe last I checked, you're a Stoic. I am. And so I think you would also say, well, it's, they can't control it. So it's, but that's so not the they, point. I mean, they, no, they should welcome okay, this that. the way that they've welcomed Photoshop and you know, and pen tablets and all of the rest of this stuff. You know, you're if you're if you're a, a commercial artist, you uh, or you're a you're you're a fine artist, you're a cartoonist, you're an, you're a book illustrator. These tools can relieve you of enormous amounts of day-to-day trouble. There isn't an obvious saturation in the market already for art of this sort. You can increase your productivity dramatically, which means that although right now you're a well-educated person earning a very low income, you you know, you double, triple, quadruple your productivity, and suddenly you're you might not capture 100 percent of that productivity improvement, but you're gonna c- recover a bunch of it. You're suddenly so you going to So you think in a pretty straightforward money. economic sense, you expect the artists that uh, the artists can embrace these tools and the ones who do will, for example, make more money yeah. than they did before. I think I think that all of them could embrace them. I uh, the, right. the, I was having a discussion recently with a cartoonist who is a an acquaintance of mine. And, you know, we, we were discussing, well, what would happen if suddenly, you know, there was eight times, eight times more, you know, cartooning done in the United States? Well, you look at the, the manga market in Japan, we're nowhere mm-hmm. near saturation in the U.S., right? 
you know, yeah. now you did say a number of breaks coming up so, for but, but, society. But so, but so this isn't one of them. Then this so, is like it is this is a- because I think that a lot of people are simply going to fight it instead of instead of embracing it. They're they're disgusted by it. It upsets them. Uh, so the breaks are the, almost a conflict within society when this is and introduced. the culture isn't isn't ready. A, a sufficiently flexible person can accept a lot of things that people who are you know, I mean, let's say that at some point in the next, you know, at, at in, in the in the future evolution of our society, we end up with John Varley-esque body swapping, where you can wake up one morning and decide, I'd like to be the opposite gender this afternoon. And it's not some sort of, you know, not particularly great surgical job. It's like perfect. Right. This is a thing that is logically possible and and whether it's probable or not it's a technology that could be built right it is absolutely the case that we could build something where you sit down in front of your television set and say i would like a romantic comedy i'd like it to star humphrey bogart and you know and and gilda radner to pick like a completely weird and incompatible pair of people i'd like it to you know to run for about like i've got like 87 minutes before i've got to leave to pick up the kids so so i'd like it to run that long and you know can it have like kind of an exciting soundtrack and it it yeah, this start, doesn't seem that far off and it'll start to playing. what i would have said you know last year no but yeah. and it'll start playing right right and it'll be good. It potentially might be really good. What does that do to Hollywood? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it certainly means, as you point out, they could they could embrace these tools, and maybe the market hasn't anywhere near hit saturation. It certainly changes it well, a lot. So, so, so the thing is, I think that that's one of the most quotidian and stupid possible uses of the technology, and yet you can already see how that rips, you know, a hole in the expectations of lots and lots of, we have been up until now in a world in which good art is scarce and we're going to be. I I actually, one of my, one, something I've thought about here is that there, I'm, I'm excited for a part of this because I I am completely excited for all of it. This is wonderful. In particular, there's a certain sort of, I don't know, coherence that I often find in, for example, novels, I think I almost always do, that I've, I think I've basically never seen in a TV show. I think because there's, even the very best ones have a certain amount of sort of design by committee associated with and, them. So- and, they're t- they're, they're, and, and it's hard when, when something is that big and expensive to exactly. have the sort of coherence you'd like. Right. And so if, with these sort of tools, I think, I think it'll be By there. the way, you could have greater coherence than novelists are capable of. There can be no That's continuity you. errors, no plot Okay, but holes. so, so can I actually, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go back around to the goal systems thing, if you don't mind too much. Oh, sure. But, but, but before we go right. on, I just want to say that like, I should, I'm not right, trying to say like a lot of this is a net negative. I think that we are in for the best period to date in our civilization. And there are all lots and lots of dangers, lots of horrible dangers. But we are in for potentially like a a, a very very great, you know, like like an, an age of wonder and wealth like we have never seen before, right? You know, I the the 
I, I, I am, I always mention to people, you know, it, it, maybe I'm, I have a fixation with this, the first world war, but you know, the, just before the first world war, you know, Vienna was seen as this amazing capital of culture and wealth and, you know, and art and all of this other stuff in Europe. And if you look at what incomes were like in Vienna at that time, Vienna was poorer than any place in India today. Right. Okay. And people starved to death on a regular basis. Yeah. Right. And they lived in filth and many of them didn't have indoor plumbing and people could afford if they were lucky, like, you know, one set of clothing and it was, it was, or, or a couple, it was a totally, totally impoverished world. But of course, since we see it through the, you know, glasses of things like BBC miniseries and, and what have you, we, we don't see all of that, you know, you, you, even even the the best historical dramas don't really convey all of the filth and odor, right? The fact yeah, that no right. one has antiperspirants, no one has indoor plumbing, no one has a decent bathroom, and no one has more than one set of clothing just doesn't come through. You know, there, maybe with smellow vision someday. It is the what the future in the near in the near future we are going to look back on all of us here and think how horribly poor these people were. How horrible the their way, medical like treatment was. Back on pre-World War One, how Vienna. horrible their 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 lives were. Their lives were short. If they got all these vast number of diseases, they couldn't do anything reasonable about it. They suffered from viruses. They suffered from bacterial infections. They got cancers. the The crystalline lens in their in their eyes you know, stiffened when they got old and they couldn't do a bloody thing about it except for inserting a piece of plastic in its place. How barbaric and crude, you know. Now, the, the negative here is, and by the way, and we may go well beyond that, you know, and we all we all might end up as, as you know, vastly much, you know, more intelligent, uploaded things that started as people. The, the negative is that there is a lot of existential risk out there, but the existential risk is not new. I think that we have been living in some sense on borrowed time since the Second World War. Because of nukes, you mean? Because of nukes, because of the well, a yeah, lot of their, our, our other, other technological discoveries. We now have biotechnology that's more than capable of doing truly horrible things. And, and the average graduate student could probably do a large fraction of them. Things are, we have had horrible existential risk for a while. The only way to the other side of the existential risk problem is through. And, and the longer we delay a bunch of this stuff, the longer we live with that existential risk. Can you, can you say more about this? Because I was curious with your kind of libertarian ANCAP perspective and this acknowledgement or appreciation for the risk of some versions of this technological progress. Like, what does going through this period look like to you? If you have any kind of like near caster scenario, literally the end of the risk period is when the is when the von Neumann probes carrying fragments of our civilization are going out from our our solar system at near the speed of light to nearby solar systems, because up until that point, there are conceivable ways that we could try to wipe ourselves out, and at that point, it becomes physically difficult. You know the the other end of this is is even you know is getting to be a Kardashev type two civilization getting past that, and the sooner we get there, do you want to the, explain what that means for ah, our listeners? So there's the the Kardashev scale 
is a is is a way of measuring civilizations and 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 as with as as with certain other things that have entered the folklore like people think of moore's law as meaning you know one thing and it means another you know it, it only it doesn't refer to things getting faster it just refers to the number of transistors in a maximum size chip but never mind that the kardashev scale literally talks about what fraction of the energy resources of a thing does your civilization have access to? And a Kardashev type one civilization, which we're not quite at yet, has access to all of the energy resources of its planet. This is sort of a logarithmic scale. So, you know, some people have extended it and say we're like a Kardashev point nine at this point. You know, a Kardashev type two civilization has access to all of the energy resources of its solar system. So presumably it's capable of building something like a Dyson sphere or, or more likely a Dyson swarm, a Matryoshka swarm or what have you. And a type three, a Kardashev types three civilization has, you know, controls its whole galaxy. And this is kind of informal, but, 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 you know, at the point at which, you know, we've turned the solar system to computronium, we have our probes going out at, 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 you know, at like 0.95 C and we're, you know, and we're in a position where we're unlikely to kill ourselves, then we've got some safety. Between here and there, there are all sorts of horrible disaster scenarios. And the disaster scenarios only stop. I mean, it, it's not like we're safe standing still, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, so like, is, look, it, is it fair to say one way to take your point of view on this is like, we need to move fast through this period of existential risk until we can get to a point where we are not actually like standing on unsafe ground. So I wouldn't call myself an accelerationist, which is a term mm. that postdates the extropians. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 it, it's, 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 it's weird, by the way, like, you know, thinking that, that I was around all of these people who, who like exchanged and, and traded and transmitted out all of these transhumanist memes over a, a, a long period of time or rather over a brief period of time. But, you know, that, that was sort of like ground zero for a lot of this thinking. But, you know, the accelerationist view that you see a lot of out there seems to be that that there's a lot of, you know, that, that, that you know, make it go faster, make it go faster, you know, get rid of the, the, the suffering, get us to the point where we have the technologies to really conquer the solar system, conquer the universe, get us to the point where, you know, we can get a, past the existential risk, and I'm I'm very sympathetic to that viewpoint. I wouldn't call myself 100% a convert, but I do very much feel like we are not we have not been safe for quite a while. And Would you ever trying to quantify that? Like I know it's sort of hard to say these things in retrospect, but if you had to say like post World War II, I think I, I like what percent per year do you think the risk was in some sense? I don't know. I mean, you know, I find it kind of 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 remarkable that in spite of the of people like like Curtis LeMay that we managed to survive, right? I mean, you take I'm, I don't know that I want to go down this rabbit hole, but there's always well anthropics. So you know, on 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 on. Even numbered days, I believe the only reason we're here is the anthropic principle. And on odd numbered days, I, I, you know, I think that many worlds doesn't mean that, you know. And and on leap, you know, and and you know, leap days and you know, and special holidays, I, I take some sort of perverse other position. I mean, that, okay, that's... so but do, are, do you think it's more like I don't know, one percent a year, more like point two percent a year, more like? I think it's 3%. more like one. 
even more like 1% a year. Okay. Mm. So, because I think when I hear you saying, okay, but that we've had existential risk and it, we will continue to have it until we get to the point that you described with the, you know, near light speed probes. But I mean, the, the argument among people who are concerned about it is, well, yeah, but well, they're not just talking about 1% a year. They're saying it would be a lot more. So but what do you so think there about are, that? There are two layers here. One of them is, what do we do about it? We don't see that we can slow this down at this point, right? We it attempts to slow it down. And, and, and I've, I've seen people online saying, no, 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 no. ASML's equipment, you know, ASML is the only place that can make deep UV pardon me, extreme UV, you know. Right, that there could be equipment. like a hardware bottleneck. All we have to do is a few of the, you know, is is stop them and, you know, and don't worry, the Chinese won't be able to, be, yeah, the Chinese have already stolen all of the plants. And I bet you, given the fact that we're denying them EUV equipment, that they'll, they'll be a couple of years behind at most. A lot of people have an exit. So there's a lot of this stuff is not easy. Like it's real, 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 real hard. But you mean what the one stuff? human being can do, a determined group of other human beings can do. How, how many times have we had true failures to build nuclear weapons among countries that have made a serious attempt? I mean, it's it 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 has not happened particularly often, right? Like when if they if they've actually gotten to yeah, the but point, I think, but I mean, it, it you could slow people down with that sort of stuff, right? It's building the nukes among the people that want to doesn't always happen. You can you can correctly. slow people down. You can you can. You know, you go can, back to the FDA example. I mean, yeah. China is not really followed in their. But they absolutely see the you know the United States' desires to cut them off from. As soon as we decide to cut them off from some technology, it becomes a major point for them to get it. Okay, um, so that's a, that's one dynamic that you think could end up being counterproductive. We're we're not going to stop the Chinese from doing from getting their own equipment, from building their own ships. We are not going to stop other countries from doing it. We will not stop research outside of the United States. We will not the by the way, I I know lots of people who are like, but all of this requires extremely expensive equipment and all we, no it's not. It's not going to require it forever. People have are you saying work, that with the algorithmic progress then it people won't even are need working fancy real hardware? real hard on cutting the costs. And, you know, unless you really, really want to, to I mean, un unless you want to bomb the world into the Stone Age, in which case when it recovers, you know, you'll just end up with the same stuff, except people will go faster because they have access to all the, the information that we gathered before. I, I don't see how we're slowing down any of this. What we could succeed in doing, however, is we could succeed in a situation creating a situation in which the only in which the people at the cutting edge of AI research are foreign militaries and and things like that and i think that there's actual you know you you, you hear someone like Eliezer talk about it and you know he's like well you know you you shouldn't think about this in terms of you know the chinese government gets some super powerful ai and asks it to get rid of the rest of the world but that is a scenario right and, and, and it's a scenario that worries me more to some extent than the alien mind scenario, because that's- Which I do a, want to get back to at some point, but, but yeah, you're saying that you are also worried about maybe- This is About the more prosaic- This is legitimately dangerous stuff. And so is CRISPR-Cas9, and so is nuclear power, and so is, I, by the way, I don't want, that sounds stupid, okay? I, I, I should be listening to myself. I would be, I would immediately reply to that tweet 
saying something like, but the AI stuff has much, you know, has the capacity to do things at higher speed, harder, et cetera. And yeah, that's true. It's, it is, but fundamentally it is a two-sided technology. It has enormous benefits. It has enormous risks. Denying ourselves the benefits is stupid. There are, a, we are not going to slow down the research. We are not going to stop the research. We are not going to scratch the research right now. Right now, like everyone is, is there's a gold rush happening right now among the VCs for this stuff. And unlike- okay, I, I want to explore that. So, but why do you think, can you sort of point to the part in your model that says we can't slow down AI research and the FDA has slowed down medical research? Which I think is sort of what Ben was saying. But I so the never... thing, the thing is that the FDA has had the excuse all along of the thalidomide children, and you know, and and you know, the the myths of of like you know half of the country getting poisoned by, you know, by bad drugs before 1904 and what have you, and 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 that happened every once in a while, and it you know, and it turns out that it still happens every once in a while. The difference is that there was sort of a prior crisis. Pro- actual the difference example. is. The difference is that moved at a reasonable speed that and had lots and lots of leverage points and has this notion that human trials are special and a, and and immoral if not conducted according to exactly the correct mechanisms and and all this other stuff and it it's hard to you know it what we're dealing with here is a lot harder I mean, there's been there's been very like very harder to regulate. You mean it's harder to regulate. It's harder to keep up with. You know, there there has been an incredibly strong desire, I think, among certain portions of the regulators to crush cryptocurrencies, and they are even now let that you know that I, I think there's it, it seems like what happened to Signature, for example, was not so much an accident as foul play, and what happened to Silvergate. Um, right. Even now, and to elaborate on that, those are two banks that were banking a lot of the crypto industry, and both have been shut down in the wake of the recent credit crisis. Yeah, and and I think that that even so, you're now, using crypto as an example of something that the government does sort of want to move against, and it hasn't really been able to. And you think AI will sort of? You know, I think AI is worse. Yeah, in the way, in worse in the sense of it's less like medicine and it's more like it's like crypto, but more so. And the government will not. It's like crypto. It's like it's like the it's like the website explosion. It's like it's like all sorts of the the thing is it's so decentralized, right? Everyone, everyone now now knows how to do the stuff. Okay, there are a bunch of 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 like extreme tricks here. But once you learn about them, if you're a smart person, you can reproduce this research. There are some arguments to the effect of, well, OpenAI has this gigantic labeled set of images to train against, and it's, you know, and, and it costs a lot to put a lot. Like some of these things are self-enabling at this point. Do you guys know about the, mo- about the pseudo, you know, reinforcement learning with human feedback stuff that just came out this last weekend against the Llama small model? Probably not. No. Do you want to say more? Okay. Uh, so, so these the, this team at Stanford did something truly brilliant, which was they used ChatGPT to generate tens of thousands of examples with which to train an open weights model that has gotten leaked and also given out by. Meta. Was that the Facebook one? 
Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I think they, they released it to researchers, I, I believe, and then it was on BitTorrent within a week. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, everyone, everyone, and and their uncle has been experimenting with this thing. But anyway, they someone wanted to retrain this thing with RLHF in order to make it much more like ChatGPT, because like you might remember the GPT three, it wasn't really good at conversation. It was yes. it was a text completion thing. You know, you would have to say the following is a short story, not write me a short story. You, you know, and, 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 and someone figured out, well, you know, instead of being around at, at open AI and spending vast amounts of money, having human beings put together these, these reinforcement data sets, I can have one of the AIs generate it. And, and, and people have gotten these ideas now, right? By the way, so, I'll mention you, this another. This is an, one example of many of how things are going to get there cheaper. There are so many examples I have already. So I, yeah. and, and by the way, I'm, I, am, I am not joking. This is not just a playboy. I read it for the articles thing, which by the way, none of your audience, if they're under the age of 80, <laughs> is going to know that joke anyway. But I have been following the underground AI porn generation community very strongly. And okay. I've been following them in order to get a sense of what happens when people are very motivated to build this stuff and are not inside the mainstream. And yeah. the answer is that people are real good at it. I mean, the... the About how far behind you would you say they are relative to like a Dolly model or something like that in quality? Ahead. They're ahead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, they so they're not they're they're not generating full motion video or anything like that. But in terms How of how far do you think that is? I am so hesitant to say. The first systems, like the first research systems that do some of that stuff, already exist. The first systems to generate really good human voices exist now. I, are you guys familiar with the Eleven Lab stuff? I'm not. You? A little bit, the voice cloning. You, it not only will clone your voice, but you hand it a text, and it has trained enough on what how human beings read a text and how they put emphasis and emotion on various places that it gets the emphasis and emotion correct. I see. Okay, so you can hand the thing the text of say Moby Dick, and it will and tell it you know and give it you know say Divya's voice. And, you know, it, it'll, and, and it will generate something with Divya, you know, reading the, it. reading the audio book of Moby Dick and it sounds good. It's not perfect, but it's, yeah. but it's, it's so close. It is so very close. And you combine that and a bunch of the image generation stuff. And how far are we from the movie scenario I had? I don't know, but closer and closer and closer. And one of the big breakthroughs right now is like that GPT-4 is going to, you know the the eight kilotoken model I think is accessible yeah, it's now, much, but right, they but they have they there. have a thir- I think a thirty two k token model, and that's large enough that like short stories, novellas, you know, those are within access. Or videos, they're not that long. Writing the script for a video isn't that long, and then you have a system that has some memory. Yeah. Maybe you make use of stuff like control net and all. By the way, all of this stuff happened because of stable diffusion became public, right? Control net was created because of that. Large amounts of this other research has only been possible because this stuff has been leaking around. But but it, to, to get back to the point, 
the people who are working on making these things run on things that are more consumerish in terms of the hardware, finding ways to do training on lower budgets that still is good, you know, people who are, there are people who are very, very motivated out there. And it's, it's going to be bloody hard to, to put the genie back in the bottle. Everyone knows how this stuff works now. I mean, you know, gradient descent is, is a cool idea. You know, Relu and, and some things like that are, are cool ideas. Transformers are cool ideas. And yeah, the people at the cutting edge know more than the people behind it. But, you know, it, this is the, the other thing is like nuclear weapons, you needed to get your hands on, you know, on a gigantic machine to centrifuge all of this, you know, uranium hexafluoride, and you weren't going to do that in your backyard. But I have friends, you know, buying, you know, 4090s from NVIDIA and going to town, and they're having a great deal of fun. It's, it's, it's out there. It's everywhere. They're not, you're not going to tell, get people to forget how to do the stuff. You know, college students know most of this technology now. They're not at the cutting edge. They can't do the whole thing alone, but it's, it's getting closer and closer. And people are leveraging the tools that already exist to build other tools. People are leveraging the AIs to train and build other AI. So I want to make sure that we get a little bit of time speaking of disruptive technologies. I really wanted to hear more about some of the nanotechnology topics I know you're an expert in. If you're right to pivot to that I'm, I'm, briefly. I'm a fake expert. I mean, well, fake compared expert. To, compared to most people, at least I talk to, you've done a much deeper dive. Well, I made, I actually decided that I was going to get a formal background in chemistry and in physics so that I would understand the stuff down to the metal. And I have done, I have published no research papers. I merely understand other people's work, but I actually understand it, which a lot of yeah. people don't. You know, I can read nanosystems. And well, I've seen you quoting specific people will say things about nanotechnology on Twitter and you'll say, well, this is addressed in this chapter of nanosystems. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, every time anyone criticizes Drexler, they haven't read him or they don't remember him. He actually did manage to anticipate sort of, according to he, you at least, managed he, to anticipate all the obvious criticisms and he addressed them in nanosystems and people aren't He responding. anticipated all the obvious criticisms and he got almost all of them. He got a remarkably large fraction of them the first time around. He, 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 I, I hesitate to call anyone a historically significant genius, but Eric Drexler is like, he is up there. I have insane respect for what he managed to do. Like the man started with nothing and ended up with a PhD thesis that is one of the most groundbreaking pieces of writing I've ever seen. And people don't, generally speaking, for their PhD thesis, write something particularly interesting. There, there are, right. <laughs> there are exceptions. Like, like, like Louis de Broglie got a Nobel Prize for his doctoral dissertation. It is rare that that happens. Usually, your doctoral dissertation is one of the most boring and useless pieces of work you ever do, and you hope no one ever reads it. Eric Drexler is 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 kind of astonishing. And there are people out there who repeatedly say things like, well, this couldn't work and that couldn't work and this couldn't work. And you you try pointing them at the book and you say, okay, you say that positional uncertainty from, you know, from thermal noise is going to make all of this impossible. So 
in addition to the fact that you exist in spite of the fact that there's thermal right, so noise. Meaning that we already have the, biological yes, nanotech. Spite, but let's ignore that. Let's pretend we didn't know that. Eric actually goes through a first principles analysis using the basic physics in chapter five of nanosystems and goes through this in grotesque detail. He also goes through the question of whether quantum uncertainty is a problem. He also goes through the problem of whether error rates make this impossible to deal with, what sort of repair rates you need, what sort of, you know, what sorts of things you can and can't probably manage to construct. I mean, he has gone through this in ridiculous detail, in grotesque, astonishing, overwhelming detail. You read those that book if as someone, and it takes, by the way, it takes an incredible background to read that book. The ordinary synthetic organic chemists in, you know, the grad students that, that, you know, I, I worked with because I, I decided to work in a wet lab for a while because I wanted to actually know what synthetic organic chemists know and what it's like doing synthetic organic chemistry these days. You know, I, I, I spent a long time, I spent years of my life learning enough that I could read nanosystems in detail. It's my suspicion that a large fraction of the people, even in chemistry, who who read that book don't understand enough to get all of it but and is that where you think i mean a, a do you think that there has generally been like slow or no progress in nanotechnology there's been no effective progress for a very long time i mean there there are papers regularly still published by a handful of people who are real experts there is a lot of stuff that you know ralph merkel has published over the years mm. freitas you know, damn it, he's at Syracuse and he's a friend of mine and I should remember his name, but I'm an old man. And I, uh, Damien Alice, that's his name. There are a bunch of people out there who, who, who do good work, but it's, 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 it's small enough that like a minivan going to dinner at the wrong conference could kill the entire field, right? And why do you think it is that progress has been so slow? And because my sense is that you think the technical barriers are not insurmountable, they're not insurmountable, they're expensive. So I can give a few a few ways of describing this. First of all, in the, you know, in the first half of the 19th century, Charles Babbage, you know, figured out that computers might be a thing and started designing things that would have been buildable with the technology of his time. And he also turned out to be, you know, kind of obnoxious and probably Aspie and not very good at dealing with a lot of stuff. And, you know, pathological hatred of, of organ grinders. I, I'm not joking, you know, like all sorts <laughs> you know that of, one? Okay. all sorts of weird quirks of his, his, his autobiography is online, like, you know, the PDF mm. of it. And it is an incredible read. Make note of that. He's, 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 he's an, in, he's a really interesting character and all of the things that he dreamed of didn't show up for a hundred years. And so um, you think it's like that with nanosystems? Well, basically. it's sort of, yeah. And, and if you look at, for example, Damn it! I'm I'm having another senior moment. Sintin Tsiolkovsky, Tsiolkovsky. Oh, he's this the space guy. Yeah, mm. here is this guy, this this crazy Russian school teacher, who develops most of the physics and a lot of the and a lot of the chemistry associated with rocket science, mm -hmm. on his own with no funding, publishing hundreds of papers on it, 
you know, in the early, early part of the 20th century, late, very, you know, last years of the 19th century, early part of the 20th century, decades before anyone builds any of this stuff. No expectation in his mind that anyone will ever build any of his dreams. And he does things like figuring out that liquid oxygen, liquid hydrogen engines have the highest specific impulse. He invents staged rockets. He, inv- you know, he figures out a lot of like the ideas behind life support systems. He invents the rocket equation. You know, he figured out like all of this stuff, and no one did anything. And you know, and it was ni- in the nineteen fifties, late nineteen fifties, before anyone actually built an orbital rocket. Okay, you know. Yeah, so you're giving a couple of examples of where. The fact that nobody built it was not at all an indictment of the plans that people no. had laid out. I mean, t- there's a great quote in a uh, in a Carl Sagan book, you know, and and, and so that you should be a warning, right? You know, they laughed at Fulton, they laughed at I don't remember who, but they also laughed at Bozo the Clown. So the fact that this has happened in the past is not in and of itself a, a reason that you should believe that Drexler must be right. Um, I I encourage people to read his papers. It is unfortunate. So why do I think there hasn't been much progress? So a few reasons. First of all, Eric, I think, is a crazy optimist about how easy it is to understand this stuff. If you read the introduction of nanosystems, he speaks about how he's tried to simplify the material for a more general audience and... Hmm. And, and how, you know, he, you know, he tries to make it possible for, you know, for experts in the following, you know, in chemistry and physics and other things, you know, computer science to be able to so read the you think that thing. almost nobody can understand his It work, requires basically. a deep understanding, you know, like every other page, you know, and here he references SN2, orga- you know, reactions, and here he's referencing you know, the Born-Oppenheimer approximation in, in, of, you know, for doing numerical quantum mechanics. And here he's referring, you know, in every page or two, he's, yeah. every page practically is dripping with an incredible panoply of, 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 of really, you know, of, of complicated ideas that even most people in a specific niche in science don't get exposed to. So it's a real hard read. There, there aren't, there aren't a lot of people who are could do the research or are willing to do the research. There's there's an amazing um, essay by W. W. Hamming called "You and Your Research." Yeah, uh, I I think Ben and I. Great essay. I'm guessing some of our listeners know this one too, but feel free yeah, to describe and, and, it. And, and, and I'm going to grotesquely oversimplify it and and note say that that Hamming notes at one point that if you ask the average researcher what the really important problems in their in their field are they can tell you and then you ask them are you working on that and they'll say oh no you know i mean it this is this is one of the i mean i'd say that of the technologies we lack right now the two most transformative technologies are molecular manufacturing and ai and yeah the ai stuff didn't have a lot of people for a long time either there was the whole ai winter but it's slowly it slowly started building commercial successes, right? I mean, I think most people are unaware of the fact that the U.S. Postal Service has had machines reading envelopes, you know, the addresses. I did know that, yeah. Far longer than you would think, right? Yeah. They, they had competitions, you know, in the early 90s for, you know, for, for, for replacing the human sorters with OCR. And they've almost completely succeeded at this point. There's a handful 
of envelopes that that can't be deciphered that get sent to like I think they have now one human you know sorting office left, and it's and the things that are left for the humans are very hard for the humans to decipher, and often they fail, right? The machines the machines do an incredible job. And so there were all of these successes that people were developing, you know, voice recognition systems. We were so used to voice recognition being a thing. I remember when it wasn't a thing at all. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been a thing for a, for a, for a ridiculous amount of time at this point. Primitive vision systems have been a thing for robotics for a while. You know, I mean, people were working, were putting money into it for practical so reasons. So you're saying that with AI, unlike with the nanotech with ai there have been commercial feedback there have been incremental commercial successes that have fueled interest and people at places like meta you know it's been it's been like well over a decade i think it's been substantially longer than that now that facebook will all will tell you say is this a picture of divya you know right you know, they do pretty well. Is this is this a picture of this person? You know, and they, these systems are are not that new at this point. There's been a yeah. lot of commercial pressure on them, and you know, and the people, and now the cutting edge research is being done on crazy specialized equipment that people have built for the purposes. I mean, Cerebras makes some of the weirdest, craziest computer hardware in existence. The, they make three, you know, they make foot wide chips single chips that are a foot on a side 300 millimeters on a side i guess a little bit more than a foot with trillions of transistors and tens of thousands of processing units on them that burn 20 kilowatts of electricity and the guys at OpenAI, i believe eat these things for breakfast like they're like candy around there you know that that and, and because of that they're making all of these incredible strides by the way this sounds like i'm saying that that you know that 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 means the normal people can't do the work except that the stuff you can buy to do gaming or or stuff like that at home is just crazy as well like 4090s and stuff i'm curious do you think that the some of the advances in ai will spill over or rather maybe like unlock different advances in nanotechnology maybe make well that so there are some things it... there are some side effects already right for not in okay let's not look at nanotechnology for a moment but the protein folding problem yeah, the alpha folds yeah is a thing that was conquered by ai and and it's not really it, it, it's it's like a side effect Recent, of ai yeah. one of the things that people figured out is that these gigantic you know is that these gigantic gradient descent systems to generate these this big, you know, these big matrices with you know a little nonlinearity tacked on the onto the side, are ways of producing approximations of almost any of any function that you can think of that's reasonably behaved, and things like turning protein structures into folded proteins. That's a weird sort of function you can think of. Being able to figure out the behavior of complicated molecules that you might want to use, to use in nanotechnology circumstances. This is probably something you can do with use. You can, I think it's on the horizon if it's I think not that here. that is a thing that an application of AI to nano, I think that building better controls for scanning probe microscopes, is a thing that already there are companies using AI technology for nanotronics companies like that. There are lots and lots of, va- of side effects here. But the, but the biggest issue has been 
people, it's very hard to do the work on nanotechnology. A lot of people had strong incentives to claim it wasn't possible. It's very difficult for lay people to decide whether this is crackpot or not. I mean, it sounds completely crackpot, right? Even the stupidest possible applications, like, you know, you could build an aircraft where with, you know, with diamond or, di you know, or, or diamond composite spars in it that, that weighed like 1% of the weight of a current airplane, but was just as strong. And this, this right. is transformative. And it's also stupid, right? This is, this is the, this is the equivalent of. This is like oh, the least future shock type version. This is, this is the equivalent of, oh, I could put a motor onto my, onto my horse-drawn carriage. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, it's easier it, for the horse. Right. You know, it's 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 not quite thinking along the right lines. I mean, the right lines are things like like Josh Hall's, you know, utility fog, which really sounds like magic. Right. Like utility fog, as described, is the closest thing to magic that human beings. I don't know. What you, sorry, I don't know what utility fog is. Can you tell us? So the idea is that you build these extremely small machines that are capable of reaching out and hooking themselves to other neighboring really, really tiny machines. And okay. they can kind of float around in a way almost nothing and are extremely strong. And these can reform themselves into anything. So like to give the stupid example, oh, you could saying. walk okay. into a room and have the chairs transform into a sofa or have or have your house transform into a different house. Or, or I mean... It, 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 this, right. So I, I think maybe part of what you're saying here is that with nanotech, the, actually, the actual upside here is something that people can't really relate to, people can't really comprehend. It seems crazy. Major, yeah, it seems crazy. And so you think that's been a major barrier to actual people pursuing it? I think that it seems crazy. There have been a, only a handful of people who really have understood it and, been, and, and, and a smaller number who have felt committed to do work on it full time. Eric tried to get a bunch of funding for it. This reinforces certain of my prejudices against state programs. The National Nanotechnology Initiative got, you know, like, I think a half billion dollars said initial funding to pursue nanotechnology. And the synthetic organic chemists immediately knifed him in the back, destroyed his public reputation, and uh, all with garbage, right? Like the Smalley-Drexler debate, all of Smalley's arguments are poop. I mean- I haven't read it, but I'll- I, I don't I'll care that the guy had a Nobel Prize now. in chemistry. He, he did not under, he, you know, to the extent that he understood it, he was disingenuous. And to the extent that he didn't understand it, you know, he, he, you know, he, he didn't care. The, the, the you know, I, the, all of the arguments that he made were already disproven in Eric's papers or were already addressed in Eric's papers, all the substantive arguments. And, and we have a good deal of evidence from people doing work like, like using, like taking scanning probe microscopes, abstracting individual carbon monoxide, taking carbon monoxide molecules on a on on a passivated surface at a very low temperature and like picking them up and then getting those carbon monoxide molecules to react with other molecules on the surface and people have done this stuff it like sounds picking like picking up like they built a little how, how do they pick them up well using okay so scanning probe microscopy sounds like magic but it could have been built in the 1950s so okay. when, when I was a little kid, all of my teachers told me no one has, I know atoms are very, very small and no one has ever seen an atom and no one ever will. And by the time I was in my late thirties and taking, you know, a physical chemistry lab class, not only 
had people seen Adams, but one of our, our labs was here, you know, make a little scanning probe, micros- atomic force microscope tip by breaking a little piece of metal wire and mount it in yeah. this system correctly and take a piece of graphite and like use a piece of scotch tape to get a single monolayer off of it and put it into the AFM and now use a tapping AFM to see the graphite, the graphene sheet in in your device and like an a, like an undergrad could do that an undergrad can you operate well, a machine see it, right? that can see individual atoms how does this work this works with by having a very very clever lever mechanism in now normally in in, in which you move in which you move a piezoelectric crystal a relatively large amount and it moves the tip of a needle a really really tiny amount and 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 in in scanning tunneling electron microscopy you move a needle tip with which which you have broken so that there's only probably a single atom at the tip okay. over a surface scanning back and forth like a television you know and 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 you have it and and you you you, you have electrons jump from this tip into the material underneath by you know by by charging the thing appropriately and you measure the current and from this you generate an image of the surface that you're looking at. You can move the needle tip much, much less than an atom width. That is one of the miraculous things. And yeah. it, as I said, it's technology that people could have built in the 1950s, but no one thought to do it. So it only okay, appeared anyway, in the so this is Thank you for indulging my curiosity about how you get this atom. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then there's atomic force microscopy where... Instead of me- instead of sending using an electron beam emerging from the tip, what you do is you feel the forces between the tip of the of of the probe and the surface underneath it. And okay, I so do- I'm going to try to bring this back to AI. So I mean, because this is one of the things that that comes up about AI systems is that at a certain point they may develop nanotechnology. Yes. One of Eliezer's, so I don't know that Eliezer got this straight from me, or maybe he did, but I noted very early on in the Extrepians mailing list that AI and nanotechnology are kind of enabling for each other. If you have good enough AI, you can use it to produce nanotechnology. And if you have good enough nanotechnology, you can use it to enable AI. Yeah. So can we talk about the AI to nanotech? Part of sure. this, and, and what I you mean, think... well, presumably one one of the problems we have is that you know we have a few dozen people who understand the field, and you know a handful who are actually working on it in any given time. What if I could spin up smart engineers in right. AWS at will? You know, and I need I want fifteen thousand engineers working on something. Well, that's a matter of money. You know, I don't have to recruit them. I just I, I just turn them yeah. on. This improves the speed at which you can design or build anything. Right, Eric has, and and you're not so much thinking. Well, the AI will sort of decide of its own volition at some point that it needs to figure this out. But you are thinking, well, well, maybe maybe one might, but but the but you don't need to go to that in order to note why nanotechnology could come faster because of AI. Right, every conceivable technology. Once you have AI, every conceivable technology is much more accessible. Because the main impediment to creating almost any technology you can name is building, is having enough minds to work on it. I, I tweeted about this a few days ago that you know that the biggest impediment to progress in our civilization since our emergence has been the paucity of minds that are available to work on any given technical problem we have. 
And once you have AI, that problem disappears. You're in a position where you can build, construct as many minds as you can afford to work on a problem. So if you need a team of 5,000 engineers working on the problem, you can have 5,000 engineers. You don't even have to recruit them and convince them that it's a good idea, uh, or at least not necessarily. I mean, maybe, maybe in order to have engineers, these things you know, end up being willful enough that you, know, you have to promise them enough electronic porn and enough days off and, you know, and enough money in their bank account. I don't think that's going to be the case, but you could imagine it. But, but almost certainly what you end up with is a situation where you can construct as many minds to work on something as you want. And at that point, all technical problems become shallow. And I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but imagine a world where, you know, you decide you don't like the fact that the Linux kernel is written in C and you would prefer that it be written in Rust. And so you hand, a fee, you know, some number of thousands of dollars to AWS for, you know, to run the engineering team. And a few hours later, you have rewritten the Linux kernel or maybe, yeah. or if and as, you, as with many of these, I mean, that's sort of crazy to think about. And also it's not that out there in terms of what's possible. It's not that out there. It's not even that out there right now. Right. Which is, you know, you can see where that will be a thing that's possible if not now, then in a, within a few years. So all engineering problems, whether it's in aerospace or biotechnology or, you know, architecture, material science, all of them become shallow when you have enough, enough staff to work on it. And, and nanotechnology is one of these. You have enough. Do you have thoughts on the risks there? I mean, people, you know, people talk about Grey Goo. I don't know what your views on that are. So, so, so Bob Freitas wrote a really, really great paper called something like Some Limits to Global Ecophagy, which I okay. thought was the most anodyne possible title to a right. paper about how fast can you digest the planet? And his answer <laughs> was fast, but not so fast that it wouldn't be noticeable and opposable. You know, it cannot opposable. happen. Okay, in, so opposable it, by other people with their nanotechnology? Right. It could not. A Grey Goo summoning circle in every home. It could not will. happen within hours is the main pro point. It, it, it's, it's a thing that best so case scenario. Like a year, days, it, weeks. weeks? Weeks, okay. Yeah, but, but that sounds bad, but in fact, so you're imagining if the nanobots come to digest the earth and have, okay, well, but, so, so you, it, but if the, someone were strategic, they could try to, how long would it take to kill all the people that might create their own nanobots? Well, well, so not so let's, weeks, let's right? take a step back from all of that. Okay. So we already live in a world in which we are all surrounded by malicious things attempting to kill us all day long. And it's so bad that if you stop metabolizing, you're going to start being digested almost immediately, right? For sure, yes. Yes. You are okay and don't notice this because you have an immune system. Indeed. Right. So we're going to need to develop immune systems for nanotechnology and for AI. We, we will need systems. You, you think we will? I think. I mean, need makes sense. I think that it's is, inevitable that we're going to have them. They're, they're going to be necessary. I don't mean that we... And so once as, people have these sorts of immune systems, you think at that I point... I mean, this is a cult... I think this will it will be at a civilizational level, right? right. We, will, we will have things that are looking out for things that have gone out of control and an attempt to put them in check. And this means, by the way, that a whole raft of potential like autoimmune syndromes at a civilizational mm -hmm. level might even appear. And I don't even want to speculate about what that might look like. But it's inevitable that people are going to have 
access to extremely dangerous. I mean, what, right now, by the way, we don't have really good ways to counter biotechnology threats with nanotechnology. So, so Bob Freitas again. I hate. I don't hate mentioning his name constantly because, like, he and Ralph Merkel are two of the most productive people pe- besides Eric who've written paper after paper after paper. Bob wrote a great paper describing a thing that he called a microbivore. And a microbivore... what it sounds like it eats microbes? A microbivore is a nanomachine that can be injected into your bloodstream that will kill invaders vastly more efficiently and faster than a human immune system can. And and It's sort of like a... I mean, there are bacteriophages, so it's sort of like that, but more powerful oh vastly engineered there, there is a the paper is online it's a little bit hard to find but google will will find it for you i think that i think that you either the microbivore or the respirocyte paper he also wrote a beautiful paper about building artificial red blood cells because it turns out red blood cells are not nearly as efficient as artificial systems could be i do think i read this paper and about like kind of inter- injecting these and maybe slowly replacing various parts. Well, well, so, these well, so, so th- all of these are like, he, he also has some papers on like completely replacing your bloodstream and your blood system. Um, and it. many of these are, are, are thought experiments, but he actually did the, the engineering at a high level for microbivores and respirocytes. So the microbivores, you know, would go through your bloodstream, would hit pathogens and you, and basically and kill them and eat them digest them I, so this is not directly about anything you've just said but it, something to me seems like a point of tension in your worldview but you know probably i'm missing something it seems like there's a lot of work that you take with seriously um that is sort of abstract engineering work i don't know maybe that's not the right way to put it but like it hasn't been implemented yet but it's but it's been worked out to an incredible degree of detail, given what's possible, right? Right. So I guess I'm like, can you point at the sort of ma- most major point of disanalogy between between that work on the microbivores, for example, and on working on AI alignment now, even though? So so if you ask Eliezer, do you know? how to do AI alignment right now, he will say very, very vociferously, I have no idea. And yeah, if but, you- But it's not just, I mean, but as you point out, there are, I don't know how many, but many, many people playing around with these systems. It's not just any one And person. they're actually making progress in my opinion. I, I think, and, and, and again, there are going to be people who are listening to this who are going to want to throw a brick right at their, their listening device as soon as they hear this because they're like, Perry, you don't understand- you know, you, you, and I understand, I just have a differing view. The, the, there, you know, the people who are working on stuff, like getting these systems to behave nicer, to answer the questions you actually want answered and not the ones that it thought you wanted answered, to not start randomly threatening you or tell, declaring that it loves you or to. So you think that is alignment work? It is happening. I think that a lot of that is is research that is necessary to do alignment work because the general question that we don't have an answer to right now is how do I build a a giant neural network that does the thing that I want, right? I want it to do the thing I want. I don't want it to do the accidental thing that will decide, you know, to suck all the air out of the room and to use it to build liquid oxygen popsicles or something, you know, or, or however else the thing might decide to kill you. 
you, you want to figure out how to build systems like this that have a great de- deal where you have a great deal of control and understanding of how it will behave, et cetera. And all of the work that these people are doing is along these lines. It's early, right. but it's along these lines. It's directly okay. applicable. You want- so- Well, I guess one way, one way I had heard Divya's question there, or it had been something I'd been thinking a little bit out as well, is that you seem to hold in particular high esteem the kind of like research on the AI that involves actually building the AI, the ML systems, doing research on those makes sense. But then similarly, the things like on some of the nanotechnology, but also like the, I, I forget his name, but- The space Tsiolkovsky. And Babbage. Exactly. Yeah, it will very, very theoretical ahead of his time, planned it. Right, uh, but, you would not, but you would not systems. have imagined. Tsiolkovsky could not have imagined that someone could just take some of his research papers and and without actually building, you know, Goddard's early things, then the V2, then, you know, the various Jupiter rockets, the sounding rockets, the early Atlas rockets, et cetera. No You're one could that have built, still due to be all those No steps. one could have built the Saturn V without going through all of those niggling steps. There were lots and lots and lots of bits of practical knowledge that were needed. You know, the, 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 the F1 engines on the Saturn V had this horrible combustion instability problem that was only solved by, by people literally setting off bombs inside the things during test firings until they could figure out a pintle injector pattern. I might have the detail here slightly off. That, that, that did not experience combustion instability even when they set off explosives while the thing was igniting. This was not, you could not have gotten to that just by reading Tsiolkovsky's papers. What right. he so you're showed, saying that there are always going to be these engineering problems that are, that are you know, you, is overdetermined that they won't be knowable in advance. Yeah, I mean, in spite of the fact that Rob Freitas has built these, you know, interesting papers with these interesting designs, you know, he did this to show what you would be able to build and how interesting it might be. Just the way as, you know, someone like Tsiolkovsky, you know, wrote papers about, wouldn't it be interesting if we built orbital habitats? And these might be some of the things that we would have to do in order to do it. But that was not a final engineering plan, right? That was not something I could have gone out and executed. There's another layer of this, though. And... I don't like being overly negative about Eliezer's program, but from the beginning, there was a great deal of flavor in a lot of the Miri stuff and in a lot of the SIAI stuff before that, where SIAI, for people that don't know, that's sort of a previous name of the Miri organization. Yeah, where we want to build a super, early on, he wanted to build a superhuman AI, but he only wanted to build it using essentially symbolic AI methods where the exact behavior of the system would be predictable and understandable in advance. And, you know, they, they thought about that for a while and didn't make any progress. And they thought about alignment for a long time, but they've, they've thought about all of this in a very, in, in an even more theoretical way than the way that Babbage thought about computing or that Tsiolkovsky thought about space travel or the way in rocket science, or the way the okay, Drexler so, so you has- have sort of two potentially separable critiques. One is that 
needed to be able to actually tinker with the systems and confront the real engineering challenges yeah, to get you the will final not, thing. You could not build nanotechnology from, from Drexler's papers, right? For sure. So that's one. And then the additional critique is something like, but there are ways to think about these problems in the abstract that you consider to be less abstract and more grounded in, I don't know, in real world constraints and ways that you think so that you think are less promising and more abstract. I want to make it clear right? that what I think people like Bob Freitas's papers or, or Eric Drexler's papers show is that this is a potential technology we could build and it would be interesting. It is not a replacement for doing engineering, hard engineering and prototyping and testing over a very long period of time. Right. And, and, and sure. But I mean, like from my perspective, and, and I, I think I get that you don't, there's something you don't like about this question because you're saying it's so obvious that AI cannot be put on pause anyway. But in the hypothetical where it were, I'm like, okay, well, maybe you couldn't figure out the full engineering solution for alignment, but maybe someone could go off and be the Drexler of alignment and then it would be accelerated relative to if that pause hadn't happened. Well, I mean, so I would I would feel better about that possibility if some organization like Miri had made much progress over a very long period of time. And even having been paid to do nothing else but this over a period of a number of years, they didn't come up with anything particularly interesting along the lines they wanted. And here we are with these with people who are working on things like chat gpt and who are like doing respins of llama and what have you who are making progress on some of the things i consider relevant at a breakneck pace and they're making it at a they're doing it at a, at yeah. a breakneck pace because it's by the way you know you see people on on twitter saying and no one is being paid to work on alignment or what ha- i know th- there are people who are doing things that I see as directly relevant. I mean, there's an extent to which some of what's happening with ChatGPT or what have you is motivated by not having the things say things that are considered publicly offensive. And you can argue about whether that's a good motivation or not. Do I want the thing to be able to... I would like to be able to sit down at the thing and say, imagine you're Adolf Hitler, you know, give me, you know, you know, write a speech about how you're going to annihilate some ethnic group. I mean, I would love, I think it is a valid use of these technologies to do horribly offensive things with them. But never mind that. There is, people are very, very motivated at the moment to find out, figure out how to build machines that will only be polite. Fine. The fact and that you they're motivated that to be very much on path. The fix because that, it's fact an example that, of getting the machine to do something that the people want. It is an example of trying to get the machine to accomplish a very complicated goal in along some metric of goodness, and they are making rapid progress on this stuff. I mean, there was there was a paper that came out a day ago, and I think that the idea is in certain ways horrible, where they basically wanted to construct a spin of SD that was incapable of, of showing you boobies, right? Hmm. You know, because as we know, the, you know, human breasts are, are inherently filthy. And as, you know, as we've talked about, there are regulatory things they're probably hoping to avoid. Perhaps, but never mind that. They came up with an interesting approach that appears to work. And, you know, whether this is something you want or not, they're figuring out things about how to get the thing to produce the images you want rather than the images you don't want, how to get the systems to behave in ways that you... All of this research, which is motivated by commercial considerations, 
and which certain people dismiss as being completely irrelevant to the alignment problem is, to my mind, extremely relevant to the alignment problem. And this makes sense to me, your view in that it also pairs with the belief that like, because minds that we are finding with these methods are kind of in a similar pool, they're in a similar area, you're less likely to run into an area where when you're doing this experimentation, some kind of sharp turn happens, some kind of really bad outcome happens, it all becomes just kind of far more like normal engineering work we to get are, this we to also, do what you want. We also have the capacity in coming years to start building systems to help us understand other systems. Because we're not going to be able to figure out how, how these systems work without the use of, of other AI tooling. And that's very exciting. You know, I mean, there, you, know, you, you, you have right now these giant opaque you know, matrices with a hundred billion floats in them, or 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 soon, you know, with with you know trillions of floats in them. Yeah, I, I'm exaggerating. I mean, a lot of the systems people build are like ten billion or what have you, but you know, still, the biggest systems are are a lot bigger than that. You, no one really understands a lot of the subsystems that are being generated there, but we're probably going to be able to build things that help us with the comprehensibility. And we're going to build them because we need to un- to diagnose what's going wrong with these systems and tweak them for good commercial reasons. There are good commercial motivations to work on this stuff. And we're not going to get to any of that stuff if we take a very timid, we're dealing with high explosives, we mustn't talk about it, we mustn't do research on this. I have had friends in from the Bay Area rationalist community who have said things to me like Demis Hasebus is one of the worst human beings on earth. You know, he's he's a he's a terrible, terrible threat to us all. And I'm like, why? You know, why? Why are you saying this thing? And 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 I think that there is a segment of the community that has gotten very, very high on its own supply. It, it they, you know everyone is thinking along this very very narrow. We must build this stuff. We have to build this stuff the cor- correctly the first time, which I think is physically impossible. By the way, I think there is no no technology human beings have built has ever been built from zero perfectly the first time. I think some of them would agree with you. And yeah, if I, think that I, is, I think that's if, a point of agreement. Well, sure. Yeah. Then, then they have. To, then you have. To, but, but then they say, "But we must try anyway." But um, if it were true that, I mean, I think if you shared their belief that building it in any way other than perfectly had, you know, like a let's say more than fifty percent chance of destroying the entire world, you would. I, mean, I, I don't, don't know. I don't I, think that Eliezer believes it's a fifty percent chance. I think he believes it's a ninety-nine. Per, I think right. he thinks so, it's ninety-nine point nine. Sure, but let's say if you have let's this, say you yeah. just thought it was, you know, fifty-five percent that you will destroy the entire world if you don't build it perfectly the first time. I mean, I'm guessing that would move you if you thought that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but, but, uh, but I think that we have very, very good reasons for figuring out how to make this stuff more or less work. And, and, and we have very good ways to make progress on that. We have been making incremental progress. It's, maybe it's not stuff that Eliezer recognizes as, incre- as incremental progress, but I see it as incremental progress. I think being confronted with these systems has suddenly meant that people are doing a whole lot more work on everything from how I train the systems to do things that are closer to what human beings want, to how I understand the systems better, 
to how I interpret the systems better, et cetera. And that this is going to continue. And the fact that suddenly there's commercial success on this stuff also throws far more people in on it. And I, and Eliezer thinks that we're going to hit foom, right? That one day we're going to have an AGI created and three hours later, it will have built molecular nanotechnology that it will use to destroy the entire world, not intentionally, but as a side effect of some very alien goal that it happens to have. And, you know, and I, I see this both as improbable and, and if it, we have to get it right, if we really have to get it right the first time, then just kiss your butt goodbye right now, because there's, if we're not going to, we're not going to get this perfect the first time without trying things along the way. We are not going to get there's we're not going to get this perfect without building lots and lots of safeguard systems. We're going to end up in a situation in which we have lots of AIs. And by the way, that's another portion of the of the belief system that there will be a single AI that will triumph, that will be the first AGI built, and it will hegemonize and take over and and Control and you think it's, it won't play out that way? No, I, I, it, it doesn't seem particularly likely to me. And it doesn't seem likely to Robin and to lots of other people. I mean, there is, you know, the the debate Robin had with Eliezer was pretty good. It was way too long. That one I have followed somewhat. Well, there's a sixty-page precy of it that's relatively readable. It's too big too, but you know, I mean, the thing is. I, I hate, I find myself very often criticizing the critics of people who I criticize. You know, I think that most of the people who criticize Eliezer these days in public are spouting bullshit. I mean, they will say things like these things can't have intentions or that, you know, that, that there is no possible danger for them. What are you talking about? And all of this other stuff. And I think that I think that most of those that's just I understand that reasoning, and the the reason that that that's happening is because if you tell people over and over again, your relatively straightforward commercial project is going to lead to the deaths of everyone on Earth, they eventually start resenting you and ignoring. You think people the, have essentially developed an immune reaction? I think that all of rhetoric. most of the people in the rationalist community who are concerned about AI risk are extraordinarily bad spokesmen for the idea. And have done far more to get people to resent and ignore the problem than they have gotten people to to take it seriously outside of a small community of very like-minded people who move in the same social circles. And I think, by the way, that this is bad in the sense that, you know, I've seen people say, well, nanotechnology is impossible and therefore there is no AI risk. Which I think is silly, right? You know, an argument you basically dismiss based on your technical understanding. I also think that Eliezer is wrong that an AI is going to have nanotechnology six hours later, no matter how powerful it is. I, 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 I do not see how that can come about, even if it is ridiculously brilliant. It require there. It requires real world time to build and evacuate vacuum chambers. It requires real-world time to do certain sorts of experiments that cannot actually be done in silico. A lot can be done in silico. I, I, I don't think it'll take 50 years. You expect this takeover risk to not be something that could happen in a couple of hours, similar to the 
grid scenario. I do not that think that a couple, couple of hours is a You think at, at the soonest it would be a few weeks, but you think it'll be a multipolar scenario? I think it's longer than that even. But I think, yeah. now, by the way, coming up with a revolutionary new technology capable of completely transforming the you know our even our very ideas of of the materials that our world is made of that's a pretty you know that's a, you know being able to do that in a few months that's pretty fucking huge but it's not happening in 15 minutes okay and it's not happening invisibly you know it it and you know with with the ai having you know like in you know in 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 you know like taking over the minds of all of the people involved and you know or or whatever i mean it's i these things are some of these things are logically possible some of them are logically impossible but on the other hand i think that people also have very facile dismissals of eliezer's arguments that are based in the ideas that these things are logically impossible when they're not logically impossible. They might be improbable, but they're not logically impossible or that he doesn't understand, you know, what is, what can and can't be built or that certain technologies are just physically. Right. You think there are a lot of bad arguments against his concerns. Yes. And I don't like those either. You know, I, I, I think that if you're confronting the thing, you have to actually understand you know, the, the parts that seem like they make sense and the parts that don't seem like they make sense. But For anyway, sure. there's, you know, Robin's, Robin's argument, you know, with Eliezer was pretty good. And the 60 page, as I said, the 60 page summary, it's too long, but it's better than the well, eight, chat GPT to summarize it. It's better than the 800 page version. The problem with, well, uh, GPT four might be able to, GPT it's, it's a little sure. bit too big for it, right? It's too well, many. Maybe parts. GPT five will summarize yeah. it for us. I, incidentally, I, I, I got a question I want to make sure I throw in here because I know we're also getting close yeah. to like the three hour mark. And well, so well, I'm not yeah, sure how much know, longer I mean, you've If got, you want but... to compete against Lex Friedman in, in the market. <laughs> hey, I've got a Red Bull right here. I'm ready to go. This is, this is a 2 a.m. podcast if you, if, for if sure. If you want to compete against Lex Friedman, you're going to be able, you're going to need the eight, you need to go and be able to break the eight hour podcast mark i think he's done five you know (laughs) you're going to have to be able to do eight right well just in case we don't fully make it to the eight hour mark one thing that has been continuing to kind of like i don't know eat on me through this conversation is i think it's fascinating with the extropian mailing list in particular and some of these other ones like there are the topics of ai cryptography prediction markets all these things that got covered in the very early days of the internet and that are now very dominant all of well it's not the early days of the internet remember the internet came Mm. into existence in the mid 70s and i was already uh, using what should we call the 90s period the like first right before eternal september maybe or uh... this was (laughs) yeah some of this showed up before eternal september okay was there one of these ideas you feel like didn't make it that you expected would have is there some kind of alpha from the extropians in the early days that you think should have made it more into the mainstream that's an interesting question. I haven't thought about that enough. I don't know. I don't know how I would answer. It is interesting to me that that we find ourselves discussing all of this same stuff. You know, for for a yeah. long time, I, I I remember talking to friends of mine who were you know, you know, shall we say more normal than me. You know, thirty years ago, and telling them all of this exciting stuff we were discussing, and these, and and my friends. The ones who knew me well enough knew that I was serious and 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 possibly even correct, but didn't necessarily think that they you know could tag along for the ride. Some of them probably just thought that I was crazy, 
some of them probably correctly still think that I'm crazy. But it, it was it was really interesting to me just what fraction of of everything that came to pass afterwards was was under discussion. I I knew as as early as say 1986 that by the you know the early by the 20 by the the 90s by the 2010s that we'd be able to have pocket computers with you know with with high resolution screens vastly more capable than any supercomputer that was around at the time. I mean, it was a very straightforward technological extrapolation. And I had no idea what that meant. I certainly couldn't have predicted, say, Facebook or Twitter or or even Seamless, right? Or Grubhub. You know, it depends on what part of the world you live in. I I understand. I think everyone I know uses DoorDash. In London, it's still delivery. High fees, yeah. Deliveroo. Yeah. Yes, we got to be careful about leaking information about where these call, where we're calling from. Well, you I'm know, calling from I'm calling from seriously. a secure bunker in 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 the Sierra Nevada mountains in seamless country. Fair enough. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. You know, I I, I I live in a cave with you know <laughs> with you know a lot of a lot of fifty caliber ammunition, but no gun with which to fire it because you know the, <laughs> okay. the itself. Yeah, I do. I do want to be mindful of time there. I, I don't mind continuing, continuing to talk past this point, but I think something that would feel good to me, if you don't mind, is to try to summarize some stuff that I, I think I better understand about your worldview having over the last few hours. That sound okay. Sure. Sounds good to me. Okay. So I think, I think there's sort of a few, a few pieces that stand out to me. And one is, which I sort of said at the beginning, but I I think I'll say it even more strongly now, is that basically you think a technical grounding in thinking about, but how exactly will these sorts of things happen is underrated, both on the object level that you you tend to have a lot of respect for people who are doing that sort of work, and sort of on the meta level of like, how has this, maybe that's a bad way of putting it, but like how looking at the sort of reference class of technological advances and how they tend to go and which types of processes tend to produce them and which tens of processes you think are not that. There's some. There's a type of technical groundedness that I see you doing both on the object level and in terms of evaluating where you think progress is likely to come from. Does that seem? That's that's seem probably sort of right? that's probably at least a, ch- a big chunk of 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 my thinking in certain on certain okay. topics. And then I think I think there's another piece that is. I mean, I'm sure nothing is truly distinct, but that I would separate out and and where. <laughs> I don't know if this is fully fair, but it, I want to sort of tie together both your ANCAP intuitions and maybe your like your more stoic intuitions into some sort of... We didn't even talk about stoicism. Well, but I think it comes through because I think a lot of where you're coming from with this sort of only way out is through type of stuff is that... And you mentioned over you don't like things to be overly negative in certain ways. And my guess is that you think that there's that the way people, this is, yeah, that the way people make progress is through allowing decentralized activity, sort of unlocking human ingenuity and not trying to put any genies back into the box or not investing particularly hard in trying to slow down any genies that might be trying to come out of the box, but more, more trying to tap into, okay, well, what is, how can we do a decentralized version of defense in depth against genies by letting everyone tinker in their garage, something like that. I I think that there is no way to have an effective centralized defense against some of these things. I think that 
I think that that's our experience from from a wide variety of domains. There there are all sorts of immune systems we all survive with, right? Our immune system. Yeah, systems, even just the word immune system. I mean, an immune system is a super decentralized. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the these all of these systems, you know, work. The the way that the how to put this properly, you're probably pointing out, and and the interesting question is whether this is a flaw or habit in my thinking that might not apply here, or whether it's a pattern that I've identified that I'm correct about. There's no way to know particularly easily now, is there? But there is sort of a common theme in a lot of my thinking, and we barely discussed my politics at all. And and it would probably require another, you know, seven. Well, maybe you we're, can we're come on back hour seven. Another three hours. We're on hour seventeen at this so point. You know, we might yeah. as well press through, you know. The anyway, but you're right there that 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 I I have a considerable suspicion of the centralized view of this, and for yeah. also even for reasons of danger, right? Because there's going to be a tremendous temptation if there is a fully sent. I mean, people keep talking about well, we need a Manhattan Project to work on AI and AI alignment, and I'm very scared of what happens when that happens. I, I both think that we cannot do that successfully and that, that if one country starts doing that, then multiple countries, many of which may have very hostile views to each other, may start doing it. it we may get end up with a situation right. which becomes a military arms race. This came up also, right, where the centralization can lead to international escalation, that model. And we also can lead to a situation in which a small group of people may get access to technologies that they cannot be trusted with. I don't know that that any small group of people should be trusted with exclusive control of any of this stuff. I don't know that anyone has the moral fiber for it. My own experiences with being involved in in a very small way with 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 being an international bureaucrat for a while. You know, I was on a predecessor of the ICANN, as I said, the IAHC. And 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 I got a very very vivid taste in a very brief period of time of how difficult it is even for well-intentioned people to function well inside a politicized process. And and I don't know who I would trust with with soul control over this technology. I would feel much, much more comfortable, I think, in a situation where lots of people are working on it and coming up with good ideas and trading those ideas and working on the construction of effectively you know, several kinds of immune systems that we will need at several levels of our civilization if we're going to survive. By the way, I, I again don't want to dismiss the notion that we are at a very dangerous part of the development of our civilization. We certainly are. And, you know, and there are people who will bring up things like, well, does the Fermi paradox mean that we've all, that everyone else who's built AI has failed and, you know, and that their their world is a burning cinder or maybe a very, very cold cinder or, you know, or, or are we just the first? And the reason that we have the Fermi paradox is that any technological civilization so rapidly colonizes its entire light cone that no other civilization appears in its light cone, which is, by the way, my, the view I have. I, I happen to think that the Drake equation is garbage. Not, mm-hmm. not the, not the Frank Drake. Mess. Frank Drake was a perfectly reasonable and smart guy. But I think that the flaw in his idea is that the Drake equation assumes statistical independence of all of its variables. And there is no reason to believe that most of them have any statistical independence at all. Yeah, you know, the first, there will be no So you other... think it just be, could, easily could be that there, there aren't very many civilizations out there? Well, well, okay. So on our planet, will any other technological civilization 
you know, will another intelligent species evolve while we are here? And the answer is a strong no. I don't know, we could uplift, uplift one. I guess we that's might uplift them, though. but it's not going to evolve by accident because right. we have created circumstances without even intending to, in which that becomes impossible. And something like the grabby aliens model. So, of like so Robin I, I, I came up with this and even published it long before Robin did. And I'm not going to accuse Robin of plagiarism, but the convergent, but, but he, I'm sure I talked, but he must have this. read your stuff. You're saying? I'm sure <laughs> I talked about this stuff on the extropians list a long time ago. Well, look at that. I mean, it's still there. My blog yeah, that this, one you haven't deleted, right? Well, I blogged this stuff on, on my old blog, which is still up. Okay. Uh, which is so which, which which I intend to uplift into into Substack soon. Yeah, um, you'll import the old archives. But but, but the, the argument was I, I, I wrote this up, I think, like, you know, very, very early two thousands. And I'd had the idea for a long time. I think I discussed it on the extropians list. Once you have a technological civilization appear within a very brief time, it gets to the point where it has nanotechnology, AI and von and von Neumann machines. And inevitably, it's going to send them out, even if only a small fraction of that civilization wants to, that small fraction of that civilization will start sending out von Neumann probes, and they will quickly colonize the entire light cone. And at that point, for the same reason that no other technological civilization is going to appear on Earth so long as we are here, uh, yeah. no other technological uh, civilization, other no other that. technological civilization will appear in our light cone, because we will be sending out von Neumann probes that will turn all of the other stars into matryoshka swarms or or so you think that it, all we the wouldn't gas. send out the sort of i don't know i would hope that in the versions of the future that i want our probes would be somewhat respectful respectful of existing civilizations no 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 but they... i'm not saying that they'll kill them i'm yeah, saying okay. that if an, a civilization is already out there then it already has this technology and it's expanding out and if it's not already out there when we arrive in a solar system and yeah. start and you know and I see and, you're saying that we'll we'll just in almost all cases get there before there's any sort of like there won't be that like right moment where they yeah, encounter yeah. us right. like at our current civilization yeah it's the odds stage, the probability is is is, is, so is low, incredibly right? low right what is the window between the okay, but time I even want to I even want to be somewhat the window know, between writing totally eat it if there was yeah but, but some interesting mind, animal window, at all the window for our civilization <laughs> between writing and nanotechnology AI and yeah, space it's quite travel. short in the cosmic sense. Five thousand years—that's nothing, yeah. right? Right. You're not going to encounter a civilization in 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 that state very with very high probability. No, that does seem true. Out of out of out of thirteen point something billion years, you're you're not you're not going to hit that very very frequently. So what's going to happen is that we'll be sending out these probes, and they will lift most of the gas out of the local star, and, and so that they of it for trillions of years into the yeah. future so that you know so that you know late state ca stage capitalism will be that much further <laughs> off you know i'm 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 a very big believer that as as i've said late stage capitalism is when you're harvesting you know energy from black holes with the penrose process because there's none left and 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 we want right, to push so I, I guess a different thing i would say maybe that sort of a thread that shows up in your thinking is something like that I don't, I think this is sort of an easy thing to say, but that your worldview includes a lot of sort of broad strokes that you think are in fact pretty predictable in advance. And then a bunch of details that you think aren't. I think that the details are very hard. The yeah. things that we can predict are that in the future, we will not violate the laws of physics, although we might not perfectly understand them at this point. Do you think we mostly have them right? Yeah. 
I, 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 so there are lots of holes we've got, right? Sure, but, but you think like the you don't think there are a ton of unknown unknowns. You think most of the holes are the oh, holes. Oh, there are we a ton of. of unknown unknowns, but the odds that one of those unknown unknowns involves things like superluminal travel is very low. Okay. You know, it might turn out, for example, that there's a fifth force. It might turn out that you know that there are interesting features of 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 very small length scales that we don't understand you know there there are all sorts of things that might turn out but as with the transition from newtonian mechanics to to you think it adds up to normality it, on it, it, what we've got now will turn out to be a good approximation in most domains and the odds that you can really i mean that and there's certain things I really don't expect. Like, for example, I don't expect Noether's theorem turns out to be wrong in some interesting way. I don't. Th- I think I have encountered that and do not remember what it is. No- Noether's theorem is one of the most important ideas in all of physics. It says that for every symmetry in our universe, there is a conservation law. Now, what does this mean? It means that if the laws of physics are, if 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 so, you've got origin axis, you know, an origin and axes for your measurement of space. You know, we're in a three-dimensional space. And the fact that you can put that origin anywhere you want, that you can translate it anywhere, is exactly equivalent to saying that we have conservation of momentum. Those are the same thing in a very, very deep way. The fact that you can rotate your coordinate axes and the laws of physics remain the same in a very, very deep way is the same as the conservation of angular momentum. The fact that you do not have a unique origin for time that, or, or you know, that, that, that you can move what you call T0 anywhere you want and, and the laws of physics remain the same implies the conservation of mass energy. And, and this, okay, these I'm are- gonna, this, is, this is very good. I'm going to try to not get nerd sniped by going into that. At this time, but, but, but anyway, this was this was this was something me. figured out by Emmy Noether, one of the one of the greatest mathematical phys, you know mathematicians and physicists of all time. Yes, I have heard of her. Really, really brilliant, and there are all sorts of constraints on the way that our universe can work that that we have figured out in recent centuries, and there's a lot of unknowns, but we're not likely to escape from things like the conservation of momentum. If, if in order to right, which escape- Which is why you have predictions like, you know, sending things out at 0.95 light speed, not faster. Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible that, that some of the rest of this stuff is, is, is a thing, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem particularly high probability to me. It, so, it, so we would, Perry, we would see effects that, in, in physics elsewhere. Yeah. Are there any things that you especially want to mention before we're done that we haven't gotten to? I intend to be resurrecting my blog at some point in the next few weeks. Right. A few weeks. Be- and and will you be telling us about it on Twitter? You're also there. I will also. I'm on Twitter too much of the time. I say okay. too much on Twitter. Can you tell people your handle? Because they don't uh, know it. It's it's Perry Metzger, P E R R Y M E T Z G E R. I think I should I should check. No, it is. We'll share a link <laughs> yes. to it as well. Yeah, we'll put the correct. link in the show notes. You'll have a link in the show notes, and and maybe you can put a link in the show notes to to your blog. Yeah. To my you know to my blog because I've decided to resurrect my blog. Awesome. It, it's called diminished capacity because you know no one no one should believe my ramblings. You know I, it's it's well, not clear that I'm them. mentally competent, and so you know again yeah and 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 this has been great fun. You know, and and you know, it's a shame we didn't get a chance to say very much before time ran out. But it's you know. true. 
Well, yeah, no, but that's why we get to bring you back for episodes two, three, and four as oh, well. Oh, yes. At, at, Maybe we when can... you add them up entirely, we'll be beating the Lex Friedman podcast record. Yes, yes. I, I, by the way, I, I, I still find it hard to believe that, that he has time in his life for things like potty breaks. He's just filming the podcast on there too, recording them there. It, it, is, it is kind <laughs> of remarkable. Anyway, yeah. And anyway, it, this has been great fun. It's been excellent. You know, Thank you, Maybe Perry. at some point we can talk about politics or economics or, or things yeah, like that. Yeah, totally. Maybe we can bring you on to argue with someone else about something, too. That could be Oh, that I, I, I Well, you know, I, 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 this might not be obvious, but I, I don't mind arguing too much. So, <laughs> I know I, I conceal it very someone carefully. Someone else who didn't mind arguing. I, 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 I conceal it very carefully, but I, I, I do have a, a small taste for that sort of thing. Anyway, it's been great seeing you guys. All right, thanks. Thank you very much.